welcome to another episode of No Plans to Merge. I'm your host, Caleb Porzio. I'm your host, Ian Colburn. Today's episode is brought to you by Tech Topics. A bad attitude. Bad play attitude. Play until I'm out of moves. <laughs> um, hi, Caleb. I get more pieces, low speeds. Uh, Hadoon, Deke. Hadoon. Hadoon <laughs> to you and yours as well. Dude, so I never... Do I ever say Hadoon? No. <laughs> So this is part of the language my wife and I use to talk to each other. We say how doon like how doon. constantly. They're like uh-huh. how doon. <laughs> and then she'll say like I'm doing good. Uh-huh. How doon. Doing good? Doing good. Doing good. It's we basically do it like a million times a day. So there you uh-huh. go. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um I often will say, How's a wife? How's a wife or how's the wife? How's a wife? How's a wife? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good, man. Yeah. Dude, oh my gosh, we have so much to talk about. Caleb, we oh. have, we're busting at the seams. You know why it is, Caleb? It's because we did two episodes where we didn't talk about technology at all. I know. Oh, and on top of this, Hannah listened to the Japanese episode, the Japan uh-huh. episode. She loved it, by the way. So she thanks you from me. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, but I need round two. So. Well, right. it can't happen I know. This week I know. We're, not this week. Not this we're week. We're so but in she, debt. To she the has a bunch when of questions. To technology topics. And uh, yeah, no, we're deep in debt. We got to work yeah. our way out a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I, I just can't do another communism episode because of the feedback. I mean, come on. Let's just do so one much more feedback. <laughs> you know, we like our listeners, but we don't like to hear from. Yeah, we them. don't want to interact with our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and they're bad politics. Um, oh, Caleb Hadoon. <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing. Um, I'm doing. <laughs> I'm doing good. Oh, dude. This is going to be a good one. I can feel it. Yeah. You got topics. Yeah. You, you want to list topics? out all our topics and then. And then I don't even know choose. what yours are, so I can't even list them. Well, I'm going to list mine and then you list yours. Okay. You list yours. I'll list mine. We got Tailwind Jit mm-hmm. and Just surrounding time. tool wind. Tool wind. What? Tool wind. Tools. Tooling. Tools and uh, other stuff. I made a little package called Tail Build and uh, whatever. Um, I want to talk about tail, Tailwind Jit. And a minute since Caleb made a little package. Yeah, I uh, actually didn't announce it to anybody until Marcel made something very similar and I showed him it. And uh, and then yeah, the the instinct to defend against the scoop is still there. No, that wasn't it. He said literally, genuinely. He said, "Does anybody have a solution for?" He's like, I just want something that just builds a Tailwind JIT file without all the stuff. And I was like, oh, dude, I just did that. And then he's like, oh, by the time I saw this tweet, I already built my own. Here's mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so but who cares? I told zero people because I'm not like trying to maintain another repo. It's mm-hmm. just for me. Um, JavaScript closures. I want to talk about them in a big way. Okay. Big. Okay. And then uh, an hour with an expert idea. I want to talk about like Livewire consulting. Um, okay. And then uh, we could talk about Basecamp or we could not because, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I think we should talk about Basecamp. <laughs> so we got, we should totally talk about Basecamp. We're, yeah, we're pretty good people to talk about Basecamp. If you anyone know? was going to talk about Basecamp, it would be us, right? Yeah, for sure. Like it should be us. Yeah, it should be us. We're definitely the most qualified. Agreed. <laughs> so those are the four that popped into my my headspace. Um, and that's not even including all the like live wire stuff I've been doing. I know. Yeah. So I was going to say, so, you know, Caleb, I felt like a, a sadness in my heart that we hadn't given the people what they want for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know, we should talk about, I know Caleb's doing a bunch of stuff right now with like 
making Alpine V3 work with Livewire and stuff like that. Yeah. And I know it's hard. And I bet there's like interesting topics in there. For sure. So many. Um, but it sounds like we're kind of loaded for bear with topics. So we might not even need that topic. Yeah. Also, there's always the open question of what we can say and what we can't say about Alpine Day. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, dude. Dude, bro. Yeah, oh, we got a lot to cover, dude, bro. God damn it. Alpine Day talk. Um, and then what was the other one? Livewire internals. All right. Well, let's just let's just get, get hammering on one of these. Are you making a list? Don't. Don't. Okay, there's a list. The people, they don't like <laughs> when we make a list, Caleb. No, no, they don't like when they we like stick when to a you giant make a list. They don't like when I make a list. That's, that's what it is. Hey, Daniel, <laughs> I feel like the show's been a little dry lately. What do you think if yeah. I make a list? Yeah. <laughs> that always works. That'll improve things. We should do an episode uh, we just called go like, list. Uh, Things We're Grateful For in PHP. That sounds horrible. Gosh. We should do a game show where we try to find files in, in Laravel internals. Man, oh. we sure have done a few gimmicks on this show. We sure have. Uh, it won't be the last. Yeah. Daniel, pick. I think you should get right into it. Like in the order that you came at them with, because those are that's clearly the order on which they are on your heart. Uh, not necessarily. Liveware internals is probably first on my heart, but the last on the list. So, okay, we, we can go with the list. Well, no, 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 but that's the way that lists work. You build up to the good stuff. Right, 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 right. Of course. Duh. What was yeah. I thinking? Wait, have you never worked with a list before? Ah, Daniel. Uh huh. Tailwind Jit. Tailwind Jit. Just in time. Um, why don't you intro the audience to Tailwind Jit before? Why don't we jump you? In because here? I don't know anything about it. Okay, but you know the basic <laughs> concept, right? I want you to tell me what you know, because I don't curious. know anything. I don't what know do you anything. not know? What? So here, if I was just literally to guess what it is, yep. right? Here's what I would guess. It, so it clearly has something to do with like uh, sort of the, the tailwind uh, configuration stuff behind the scenes um, that, like, that generates your tailwind CSS file. Right. I would assume just in time means like, you can use a class even if it's not de declared in your style sheet and then somehow we're going to like make that class exist or whatever. Word. Is that yes. correct? Uh, sort of. I mean, that's kind of the, the basic deal is like original Tailwind compilation. You had so, to know which classes you were going to use. and Right. So, well, no. So there's Tailwind, there's Caveman Tailwind, which is the type of Tailwind that I prefer most where you include the CDN, CDN import tailwind. And then yeah. you use it and you're good I, to go. I also prefer that most. That's my favorite type of tailwind. Caveman tailwind. Caveman tailwind. Favorite type of tailwind. Mm -hmm. um, then and there's, there's, like slight, there's like slightly better than caveman tailwind. There's bronze age tailwind. So I'm not even going to touch on any sort of tailwind configuration, like specifying okay. a color or a plugin or anything. Do you ever use plugins or colors or st yep. stuff like that? You do? Yep. Okay. Because you work on real projects? Yeah. Because I get to projects where people started making a custom tailwind config gotcha. and then removed things that i needed and then i have to add them back gotcha yeah i don't i don't think i've ever maybe once have messed with the tailwind config but i don't think i ever have yeah it's pretty easy and, and, good. and the, the things that i need like if i need a color or something that's not stock or if i want to do my own colors i just make my own little utility classes just like dot bg hyphen brand 
like that yep. kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Um, cause I can never come up with like 10 colors for, you know, like if I create my own color, I'm not going to come up with 10 shades of that color by myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm, I'm just not mm-hmm. going to do it. I'm mm-hmm. going to come up with like the brand color, the mm-hmm. brand light, the brand dark, you know, mm-hmm. and just make those globally available class. So anyway, I never use the config file. So that's totally out of this conversation. Basically you got your caveman tailwind file, mm-hmm. but the problem with caveman tailwind file is that it's getting bigger and bigger and it was pretty big to begin with sure. but it's like hundreds of kilobytes yeah, i wonder how much like literally i use it on the make vs code awesome site and if i refresh this thing when adam finds out that i do this stuff he's like what are you doing you're horrible yeah well and that's the thing that i was going to say is like adam would not want people to use caveman tailwind no but I, my belief is that such a big part of tailwind is that like you can make it as small as it can be and as customized like he doesn't want it yeah. to be something that's like bootstrap where up oh, that's a tailwind site you can tell because of those because they use that purple that everyone uses yeah, yeah that like bluish gray that that if it's got bluish gray it's either stripe or a tailwind site you know yep. um yeah, so he wants something, a tool that can, you know, outlive whatever tools with theming opinions. Yep. But I mean, I believe the reality is that everybody's lazy and like a bad programmer like me and mm-hmm. just puts in the freaking CDN and enjoys the pretty colors. Right. Um, so you got your Tailwind UI minified. Uh, this is, so this is a Tailwind and Tailwind UI minified on Make Code Awesome, and it's 267 kilobytes. That's, I stress out over one kilobytes. kilobyte in Alpine. Alpine's yeah. like 10 kilobytes and I'm always like stressing about one kilobyte. Sure, sure, sure. But that's a lot of freaking kilobytes. So um, so as Tailwind keeps adding new awesome things, that size gets bigger and bigger. And the answer to this has always been what? And that's because what? like Tailwind, Tailwind Caveman version is essentially the entire CSS spec. Yeah, with all the, um, mo- the, the real sizes from the, the modifier the mo- stuff, yeah, the, whatever well, they're called. Yeah, what so it's like the, the entire CSS spec times seven or whatever. However yeah. many like different breakpoints and hover states and all kinds of other exactly. shit is supported by default. Yep, like here's everything. Yeah, it's it's not... Yeah, exactly. Yep, it's like 100%. everything you can do in CSS times a billion. Yes. So, Daniel. Yeah. How? What is the current non-JIT solution to not shipping 300 kilobytes of CSS, which like... 299 of them are unused you know yeah so i mean there are a couple right one is the sort of more manual one where you like only define the colors you want only define the breakpoints you're going to use only define the oh yeah good note those things right which is like what i've seen probably most commonly is that people just go in and be like i don't actually use yellow in my app so i'm just going to remove all the yellow stuff um i don't need a 640 breakpoint and a 320 breakpoint i need like a mobile and not mobile breakpoints yeah and so i'm just gonna make one of them um and that cuts down the size massively yeah um but then there's also i forget what the tool is but it's like a post css scrubber that basically based on your markup and which classes you're using like scrubs the ones that you're not using yeah purge 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 css CSS. yeah yeah. yes so you got it that's the story currently and i've when i've worked on production projects actual projects for clients and stuff with tailwind i've used purge there are lots of gotchas with purge um i've ran into them quite a bit where you're like what the files or uh yeah if you're dynamically generating classes are generated yeah yeah. and weird stuff i'm trying to think like i could probably dig through my uh whatever like laravel mix 
config files for all the purge exceptions that I have. Um, but it, it gets kind of gets kind of wild because it's it's the idea is you generate the full big file and then, and then when you, you go just delete to, half of it. And so you only do that for production. So that's one of the issues with it is that like most of it the time it looks like not, it works in dev. It looks like it works in dev and then you do production and you're missing that class or whatever. Yep. Um, so that's purge. So the JIT compiler is flipping the model. It's basically, it's not generating everything and then, you know, um, filtering out the things you don't need. It's looking at what you're using and generating what you need based on what you're using. So, you know, makes sense. Uh, those words, I know what all those words mean. What do you mean? Give me an example. <laughs> Give me an example. How you think it works. I can't. I Okay, great. So whatever. You basically in your config, you say uh, like mode colon JIT in your mm-hmm. Tailwind config. And now when you're building Tailwind and you also give it, uh, you still use the purge. It's for legacy support, whatever. You use the purge key to specify what HTML files you want to look at. Sure. So it's like a glob pattern. You'd say like, look in my public directory, look at my resources views directory for every blade file and parse those out for classes that I'm using mm-hmm. and watch them for when I change those files and mm-hmm. generate a CSS file based on that. So every time yes. I hit save, a new CSS file is generated or mm-hmm. the CSS file is modified. Mm-hmm. Um, so it starts off basically empty with just the boilerplate for Tailwind. And then every time you write a new class and you hit save magically, that CSS uh, definition will just pop up inside your thing. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's Tailwind JIT, like basic idea. And mm-hmm. okay, so that's fine, whatever. I'm not that interested in that. I, pr- I wouldn't use that, I don't think. I don't see a Ben. What is the point? What is the point? I guess the point is... Um, is it just faster or something? It is fast. Super fast, yes. The So Adam built... Basically rebuilt like Tailwind Core for this. Yeah, yeah. Like and, I, that's the hype I remember about Tailwind JIT was like, oh my God, it's so fast. It's crazy. Yeah. So that's, um, that's the main... Th- that's like one of the big selling points, I think. Mm-hmm. And he went to town on making it like stupid fast. Like yep. Like only using lookups and stuff instead of like looping through shit, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so super fast, but whatever. I still don't care. It's still not like something that I would really use, but here's right. why it's so awesome to me and I think is the future. But there's a bit of a fork in the road. So let me first ask you a question, Daniel. Mm-hmm. When are the times that you outgrow Tailwind in a project? Meaning what are the things you have to do outside of Tailwind when you have to specify, you know, add your own class or add your own style or something. It hasn't really happened in a long time. Really? Yeah. I mean, it would be, it would be stuff like, like weird SVG things or like, it would be like things that I might do on like a marketing site or something. Or like if I was building like a complex component, like a carousel or something like that, that had like a bunch of like, a bunch of weird position stuff that like I could, but like basically Tailwind is all of CSS. There's almost no CSS that you can write in the world that you can't also write in Tailwind. Yeah, it does more and more. You're right. Like I, one of the things that came to mind for me was background gradients. Uh-huh. And yeah, now yeah, you yeah. can do that in Tailwind, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Right. nuts that there's an API for that. Yep. Um, also a bunch of transition type stuff Tailwind has now uh what else like box shadow stuff um you know so yeah so stuff like that i guess like one of here's a few of the final bosses 
for me. One of the annoying things that I feel like I do on every landing page project is, and somewhat often, I specify manual widths because like I need something bigger than W64 or whatever the biggest width is in Tailwind. Mm-hmm. You ever find yourself needing like something that's kind of like W260 or something like that? Um, yeah, but don't they have, don't they also let you use the breakpoint widths? So W large, WXL, W2XL. Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm pretty sure they let you do that now. Gotcha. Even that though, I I need, are those fixed widths or are those? Yeah, those are fixed because it's the same widths as the breakpoints. Oh, that's pretty interesting, dude. Yeah. Wow. I think I just learned something. Let me see if I go to this and I like add WXL. A... No. Or maybe it's WX large. No, there's no W hyphen. Or maybe it's X. max. Maybe it's only max width. I think that's what it is. It's max width. Max W. Yeah, you get all the like 2XLs, you know, LG, MD. But is that the yep, same? Yep. And oh. so that's the only, I never make like a, a width of a column, not a max width. I only make it max width. Word. There's max, it's max W screen hyphen LG, MD, SM, XL. That's pretty cool uh screen oh those exist too yeah dude what in the world that's so good yeah <laughs> why if i never because like anytime i'm making a screen. column like that i'm just i'm like my width is 100 percent, and then i have a max width right because that's how you do responsive <laughs> so if you add interesting dude okay like I never give anything an explicit width. Interesting. Okay. Because the other option is you give it an explicit width and then you give it a break point where the width becomes a percentage. Yeah, that's right? usually what I do is I'll give it's it... it's like you don't even need the break point if you just give it a width and a max width. Yeah. So yeah. percentage width, fixed max width. Right. Okay. Okay. Then I'm trying to think there's a few other times when like I need a one-off specific color um, or yep. Yep, an yep. Op- uh, like a transparent color. Uh huh. Yep. Um, and there's so few... I often will just do that in a style tag, honestly. Yeah. Same. Yep. Same. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Anytime I need to do, oh, like selectors. Uh, what's a good one? Like a focused style mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that Tailwind doesn't have. You know, you yep. can't do that in a style tag. Yeah, yeah. Which is annoying. So you have to do. It. Sorry, so you can't you do it in a style attribute. You have to do it in a style tag, and then you need an identifier for it, and it's just right, annoying. Right, right. Yep. So stuff like this. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, uh, Tailwind JIT basically has this extra syntax that it's capable of because of the nature of Tailwind JIT, where any value. So, if you do like W hyphen, let's say border hyphen four, mm-hmm. it's not four pixels. It's like whatever some four M things rem amount or whatever, right? Yeah. Four things. You can now substitute any of those like. Uh, values like one, two, three, four, six, eight, stuff like that. You can substitute them with a b- brackets, so square brackets, and then inside of that, put a specific pixel value, or M or RAM or whatever, and it will generate that style with that specific pixel value. So you could say like MD colon W hyphen bracket twelve px. It'd oh, be like for the middle breakpoint and above use width of 12 pixels interesting so you have all this potential for you can anywhere you put a color you can pop in a color uh like hash value 
mm-hmm. just by putting that brackets in there. So you could BG hyphen bracket and then specify like hashtag, you know, FFF or something. Sure, sure, sure. Um, which to me is super dope. So you can do it basically anywhere you have like a measurement or a color, you can become explicit and set your own. Yes. So anywhere where you would have something measured in like pixels or M's or any sort of measurement unit, you can do it. And then also yeah. anywhere where you would have something measured in RGB or he- or hex color or whatever. Yep. So can you stick like RGBA and then get like a transparent color? I don't know. That'd be pretty interesting. I kind of think you, you know, the, like one of the issues with it is you can't have a space. But you could, RPG I don't know even know if space. you could have commas. If you can, then you know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. there's some restrictions there of what a class can actually be. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so there's... There's that, which is an awesome addition to JIT. There's also being able to just use like being able to stack variants, say like hover colon, focus colon, you know, because now you don't have to generate every permutation of those combinations. Which is like an infinitely large file. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can just use whatever you want and it'll generate it at runtime. Yeah, yeah. And you could use like import. I don't know if this exists now. I tried it today and it didn't work, but like important colon and then something. Mm -hmm. Um, So you don't have to generate important variants of everything. That's you can cool. just pop that in front of it. So there's so many oh, things. That is something I've had to use style tags and stuff for yeah. or style attributes for in the past is like overriding yep. something with important. Same. Yeah. So there's this whole slew of things that, that I think are insanely powerful with Tailwind JIT. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like it's, it's a totally different Tailwind. I feel like it's a different framework, you know, mm-hmm. um, because of all those new abilities. Yeah. And I'm very, very tantalized by it. My current project is still 1.9. So I, wow. I haven't yet, uh, like made, well, my last project was 2.0, but barely. Um, okay. so anyway, I, I'm like really excited for like a big new tailwind. Gotcha. You know? Yep. Use it. It's awesome. So here's the thing to use it. You have to like, I mean, you know, I hate build steps and bundlers and stuff mm-hmm. and to use tailwind. It well, specifically mix supports it basically. Right. Yeah, so now there's a Tailwind JIT plugin, so you would have to use Mix, yeah. But, Which I mean, you're talking to a guy who doesn't even use Mix. Um, so, whatever. But, okay, so to most people, it's not a big deal. But to me, like, I want one command line utility that I can just say, like, generate a file and mm-hmm. look at these HTML files and then watch those HTML files and build the, the Tailwind thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, whatever. It's not for everybody, but it's called Tailbuild. So you can literally do npx tail build without installing anything. npx tail build, you know, public slash tailwind.css, and that'll be the output file. Mm-hmm. And then you hyphen hyphen files, and then specify a file or a glob pattern of HTML files. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it'll just do it. It'll scan those files. It'll generate the tailwind JIT file, uh, just using all the basic stuff under the hood, like post CSS. And then it's like a long-lived process that continues monitoring and stuff. If you hyphen hyphen watch. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then cool. you can optionally minify with hyphen hyphen minify. Uh, um, can it like hot reload and stuff? That'd be cool. No. Next no. up. Are you using so, like, what What server are you using? Uh, I mean, it, just the command itself uh, uses ES build. Do I don't even think I need to use ES build. And then I think I just use post you use CSS. Like file watching and stuff like that. I literally use post CSS to process it. I use chokemder whatever for watching files. Cho- uh-huh. Something like that. I forget okay. the, the name. Check, I use chalk check. for colored output. Checkder? 
Is that what it is? No, it's... I'll tell you real quick. Tail build, build, tail build .js. It is Chocitor, Chocodar, Chocodar. Um, yeah, and then PostCSS for processing it. Tailwind, the Tailwind PostCSS plugin, the auto prefixer PostCSS plugin. And then that's that. That's it. Or um, so. hot module reloading would be so hot. S interesting. That would be great. So how does that work? So when you save the file, it updates the page. Hmm. Right? So you save the file, yep. the new Tailwind config, and therefore the new Tailwind CSS file get generated. Yeah. And then that gets injected into your page automatically. You don't have to refresh to see your changes. Right. Yeah, so... Because that's the big benefit of using Mix. So let's build the ideal JIT compiler tool. In my mind, the ideal thing is you do script. Or sorry. Yeah, no, I guess it would be a script. It'd have to be JavaScript. You just do script, source, whatever, like... So maybe it's even a CDN, like tail build, tailwind, whatever, tailwind JIT dot JS. And then... It looks at your HTML, it generates CSS for it, it's listening for DOM mutations with Mutation Observer, and it is updating the CSS as the DOM is mutated. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the best thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Here's and one. So hurdle. you would need something like Webpack Dev Server to serve that CSS over, and then you would need something like the mix asset attribute in blade to like watch for the thing and if you're in the correct mode then load the one from that server well so what if what if it was just what if the entire thing was built into javascript the entire tailwind jit compiler was literally in that javascript file like in the browser yeah in like the it browser. Was running in the browser right that's totally doable yep i think that would be even better because then you don't need to run anything. Yeah, you don't have to have a command running. It's just as needed, you know. Yeah, that's cool. That'd be pretty cool. Um, and so then you would basically have like a dev mode tailwind import that, yep. that like runs the builder. Yep. And then you, there'd have to be a good story for the production setup, you know. Well, the production setup would be easy, right? You just just imports the thing. So you have a blade component, right? Or a blade directive. Okay. Right? Called like tailwind import or whatever. Okay. That takes like a path to an asset, right? Yep. And then if you're in dev mode, it that directive just registers some JavaScript that does all the compilation and whatever and does all the hot module reloading and does everything, right? Yep. If you're in production, that just imports like a link rel text style sheet at whatever.css, tailwind.css. Right, but how does it... So like that style sheet would have to be a JIT compiled style sheet. Yes. For what though? You know, because it, is it page specific? Like the, the dev build script is a page specific CSS thing. Where like the link tag is going to have to have CSS for the entire app or generate individual CSS files for every single page. You know what I mean? I I mean, I know what you mean. I don't know how we got to this. I would never do that. I'm just saying what you're proposing, you would have to do that. 
No, you wouldn't. You just have a master CSS file, like always. But you, right, so your master CSS file uh-huh. has every Tailwind class available. No, every Tailwind class that you use in your app. Right. So how does it know what files? You know. Uh, I don't. Isn't that how this JIT stuff works? Yeah, you have to show it that what I'm saying, Daniel. The tool that you're describing. Walk me yes. through your exact tool. Don't give me your attitude, Daniel. You got your attitude face well, on. No, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> you're being a little hostile. You're being, tell me how this thing no, you I just thought like off on the, doing on the spot works. No, no, no. I like it, but <laughs> I, you know when I like, you're like, no. What are you talking about? It's yeah, great. Yeah. It works yeah, perfectly. Yeah. Um. You idiot. You don't see you it. You moron. Um. So the thing. Explain the page by page thing to me because clearly you have a thought and I have no clue what you're thinking. So to generate a Tailwind JIT compiled file, you have to look at an HTML file, right? Right. So what you're describing, you have an at a blade directive called at Tailwind or whatever. Uh Uh-huh. And when it's in development mode, it generates what? Because you want the hot module thing. So I was thinking that we're generating a script, a JavaScript file that's looking at our looking at the CSS on the page and CSS, is like there's on no CSS on the page. You mean the, the classes. classes on the page. And then it's so I like, think, no, I think it's just looking at the classes in all of our views because it's blade and it knows what views we have. But how do you get that hot module stuff you're talking about? You need a Webpack dev server or something like that. Okay. So no, you, at least normally, but you could probably do it in the browser. I don't know. But like, I'm, there's a way. We just need to figure it out. Right. That's what I what I was sort of like. I thought we were starting with like a browser based JIT compiler uh-huh. that just like you just do like script source tail tailwind jitter, you mm-hmm. know, and then it's scouring your HTML for classes, and in JavaScript runtime, it's generating the styles and injecting them out of the page, and then it's using Mutation Observer to look for new styles and then add those to the styling on the page. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then th- this is where like where we diverged as you were like, I was like, what about the production story? And you were like, oh, we'll wrap it up in a blade directive. And then it Laravel will detect production. And then and then what? That's the question. Okay. So I guess here's so you're saying like it's going to in your in your idea, you were just going to like inject all the styles into like a style tag in the yeah. head or something. OK, yeah. so that's doable. Um but that's not what I would do. What I, or that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is basically like you rather than having to like run like a long lived process, right? You would basically like trigger all of that work um, from the browser. Oh, like make an AJAX request to yeah, the, make an AJAX request to your app to PHP that to like, would that would then like trigger something that builds the thing and then send it back to the app. Interesting. Wow. If Tailwind JIT was, if you composer required Tailwind, yeah, it's pretty interesting. And it just gives you a blade file. And then in development, I mean, yeah. Give you so a blade in, directive. Yeah, yeah. Blade directive called Tailwind or whatever. In development, when the CSS is updated, an Ajax request fires to your own app to generate a new file. Yeah. And then it, and then for so production, the file watcher is the hard part. Hmm. So not if you're always. Can we have the? Can we have the JavaScript that is running in the browser watch files in the file system? Is that a thing that can happen? 
No, but you could trigger the JavaScript in the front end from the back end with like WebSockets or server sent events. How does the back end know that something right. changed? If you would have to have a long running, running process. Which is yeah. the thing we're trying to avoid. Right. Agreed. Yes. So I guess even in your situation where we're just like spitting the shit onto the page, mm-hmm. the only option that's basically polling because we can't have like a reactive compilation. We can, because How? if you're loading, if you need a class for the thing, it's loaded in the browser. Uh-huh. And if it's loaded in the browser, you can trigger a request to the server to generate a CSS file. So basically, it, oh, so your thing is only, I see, I see. This is the thing that's different, right? Is that your thing is only aware of the DOM on the current page. Yes. And so if it yep. sees something in the DOM that it doesn't know about. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> Why not that? Well, I, I just don't see the production story being good. So I the production cool for dev, but the production story would be like that would just be a, a dev only option for production. You would have to, but I like you can't get hot module reloading. You can't get any of the things that I like. What for dev? Yeah. Yes, you can. That was what I. How do you get hot module like, reloading? Well, what would you be changing on the page? So, okay. So in, I have two windows open. I have a browser yep. and I have a text editor, right? right. Yeah. Uh, and in my text editor is my blade file mm. that has all my classes in it, yep. right? I add a class to the blade file and I save it. Right. The browser does not update. Right. So you would have to use some sort of like, if you're, you would like, have to have just... a long running process. Right. So whatever you're using for hot module reloading. Yeah you would have to um, actually... And okay, at that point, you thoughts. may as well just run Mix, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So the tool I'm describing would work with any sort of HMR tool because it would use Mutation Observer to just detect changes in the DOM. But you're saying you want the tool to do the HMR itself. That's like the only... Have, yeah, to me, that is the only value that it adds. The value that what that 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 this tool adds? Yeah. What other value does it add except for like not forcing me to run a long running process, but still giving me all the benefits of a long running process? If I'm going to yeah. run a long running process, <laughs> then I'm going to run a long running process that exists. The already. value is that it would generate. You'd be able to do width hyphen bracket twelve px without having to build a new Tailwind JIT file. You could include it, Here, Daniel. The value, the pitch for the value is that it's just like the caveman tailwind file. You include it in a page and then you mm-hmm. get to use it. Mm-hmm. That's the value. And you don't have to run a long running process. Right. Which is the same value. It's the equivalent of putting the CSS file right in the page. Right, 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 right. Okay. I it's like I you can't achieve the JIT experience without fanciness. You can't achieve it with just a CSS file, but this is about as close as you could get. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. but the big problem is what do you do about production? You know, yeah, because you can't well, afford I mean, that extra hit. You could just add a git hook that compiles all the stuff to production CSS files and then does link rails. So you would compile different CSS files for every page or no, or you just, just like, compile a master CSS file. Yeah, right. I guess the, the then you're back to the problem, the same problem as purge, which is fine. 
but like you could be developing all hunky dory then you go to deploy for production and something is different you know because yeah you know what I'm saying? Well, but yeah, so then the production thing is crazy then because it's like, what if you never load this page in the browser before it hits production? Then you know what, what you could you, do? What if you never load this page in the browser with the certain blade conditional that makes this one DOM item render? And so then a bunch of classes never get. What if you never load this page in the browser? Say that again. So say I have a conditional that says, like, if user is admin, yeah. then, then show this button, right? Yep. And this button uses a class that's used nowhere else, yeah. right? Or it uses like a bracket width pixel thing. Yeah. Right? And say before going to production, I've never loaded this page in the browser. Right. Then wherever I'm like keeping track of classes that I'm using, yep. that's never being kept track of. So like we're basically... we're. The only way this works is like if the styles are dynamic, even in production, which I don't like. Right. Because of the added load. Yeah. Well, not just because right. the added load, just because of the added sketchiness. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Nah. If it was solid enough, I'd be fine with it. But it's not solid. I don't think it could be solid enough. You don't I think, think it's so? sketchy. Yeah. Well, you would be using the exact same code path locally. Why would it be any different than, than runtime because JavaScript, you know? Just like runtime CSS. Yeah, it's sketchy. Like no. runtime. It would be just as reliable as anything else that runs in the browser. You know, it's deterministic, like input, output, whatever, you know? Yeah. It's just a code path. The tough part. Yeah, those are the tough. But okay. What about this, Dan? Dan Cole. Mm-hmm. Composer require Tailwind. Sure. At Tailwind in your layout. For dev, it generates a link tag. Ooh, this is interesting. Generates a link tag to whatever, a script tag, whatever. Damn it, Daniel. How does it do this? Okay. When you call this URL, the the package itself exposes a route from your Laravel app. Of course, yes. Like all good packages do. Yes. And... The script tag that it injects on the page, it instead of just making an AJAX request, it sets up a server sent events like connection. And that way, you wouldn't have to have any WebSocket infrastructure at all. But it would be basically holding a connection open with your server on that, that route that the package itself makes open, you know? Making sense? Uh, not yet, but keep going. And then, so there's a long running connection now. There's a backend long running instance mm-hmm. that could use React PHP to watch Blade files mm-hmm. to ping the browser when there's a new, you know, when Blade has recompiled and there's new classes to update the CSS file. And, and then it could cache that CSS would, file. And then you could use that in production. And how would the... How would it know when you had changed a blade file? Right. So the the front end opens the long running request with the back end, right? Yes. So you literally have like the package has a route called like route colon colon watch and send me new CSS when you're when you've updated or something. Or it's a route called notify the browser when a blade file changes. 
Right. No, no, I understand that part. I understand how it communicates to the front end. Okay. I'm saying how does the back end know when a file has changed? Yes, it uses React PHP to concurrently look, watch files for changes. Can React PHP watch files for changes? Totally. Yeah. I used to, my first version of Livewire had a long running server that restarted itself when a file was changed. Really? Yeah. I don't know if it's built into React or if I had to just use a loop in PHP to look for changes, but like file watching in React PHP, I'm sure it would be React PHP FS watch. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. There's stuff. Interesting. Yep. So that is actually doable then. And then you could always be using an actual CSS file because it's cached. Let's say that when the backend hears about a new file change in a blade file. Dude, when, a, when the backend hears about a new file change in a blade file, it re-renders all of the CSS, that JIT CSS. That's what I'm and caches it. And that is even kept in version control, maybe. Yeah, so or it just uses that, yeah, it uses that like hash versioning stuff. Sure, right? yes. So that then, in production... And then the, the response that it's sending down to the client is just like, here's the new URL to the CSS. Go ahead and swap it out. Right. And the benefit with this is that you can actually use that in production. Correct. That file that's been right. generated. And this is, yeah. I think yeah. the style tags thing is like kind of a red herring. I don't think you want to go that way. Or And the DOM watching stuff. I think all of that's kind of like, meh. You know what it is, dude? Super simple. It's just a package that exposes a route that mm-hmm. pretends to be a CSS file that is generated, that uses the blade files to compile the JIT every mm-hmm. time. Every and time then that just gets cached it. anyway. Yeah, and you can use the hash thing to update the cache. So you can have like, whatever, you could probably get fancy with Blade. Um, and you could do some cool like Octane shit blade with it. Files. Where like if you were running an Octane, you could make it one of those routes that skips the whole app and just like grabs the cached CSS. Sure. And then in production, it uses a shortcut. Instead of actually compiling it, it's going to use what has already been compiled. Yep. Somehow. Yep. That's it, dude. That's the way. Composer require tail jit. Yep. Yep. Dude, what about that? That'd be pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I mean, this is obviously like my favorite class of plugin, right? Is like making backend stuff like kind of, I don't know. Like this is a very, this is like very similar to like the Ziggy architecture, right? Of like, yeah. hey, we expose a route. Here's a bunch of JSON data or a bunch of JavaScript or a bunch of random stuff that like we get by like looking at the structure of your app. And now you have like Laravel sort of features informing yeah. your front end. I'm trying to think of like what the actual mechanics for like you say like, and then for production, you kind of hand waved production a little bit. You said like, and then for production, we'll just use whatever has been compiled. Sure. It's like, so that means that like when we compile, we also need to be saving that out to assets, I guess. And then the production version of the at Tailwind thing just link rels to the latest asset. Right. Yep. Is that? Yeah, that could work. You could also so literally. So you're like saving a copy out to public, public CSS or whatever. It would be better to do that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 
What I was thinking is you would keep the same endpoint, but just detect if it's a public environment, a production environment, mm-hmm. and skip the part where you attempt to build a file. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, too. But you could always just attempt to build it and use... You could use Blade... Dude, oh, my God. You could keep track of Blade files changing with their own caching mechanism, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like... No, it's pretty tough because blade files are broken up when they're cached. So if you have like a component that hasn't changed, but a different component that has, like you have no way of knowing. I don't know. Forget forget this line of thought. Right, right, right. Well, and then, so my thing, the reason I prefer using the actual CSS file in production over the thing is like, I don't want to have to touch PHP to get my CSS. Right, yes. You know what I'm saying? Um, right. In that way, it is better for sure. The but the, here's the other stuff I'm thinking is like, well, you could like. There's no downside if you have like really good caching, right? Like if you have like a really like a varnish cache that like gzips everything and all this other stuff kind of like sitting in front of your app on that endpoint, then you're good. Yep. And then if the if the back end thing like busts the varnish cache every time it recompiles. Yeah, that's the, I mean, um, LiveWire's JavaScript assets are a route endpoint mm-hmm. with the right headers and stuff configured so that the front end will cache it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I do the cache busting thing when I need to bust it. But that takes care of it. Like anybody's app, like, right, but, that but that way cached. you're still forcing people to do that work on their first request. Yeah. yeah. Versus a varnish cache, it's actually right. cached on the server. Yeah, for sure. So that new people don't get that on their first request. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Could be cool. Here's the chief problem with that. And I don't know a way around this. Is there any way to be able to open up your dev tools, select an element, and then do the dot CLS thing to search for Tailwind classes and interactively design in the browser? What is the dot CLS thing? You know, when you're like in the dev tools and you click on an element and you want to play with Tailwind classes? Uh-huh. And you use that little helper to like search through the classes and like toggle them and stuff. No, you're joking me, Decol. What do you mean? Use that little help? What little helper? Decol. So, if you grab an element mm-hmm. like this, and then you go to .cls, and then you search stuff, and so all this. See, oh, that's crazy! No, I don't do that. Scroll. I just sort of click on the element in the Dev Tools and just start typing into the classes. No, you list. don't. Oh yeah, my I gosh, do. dude. Welcome. Oh my gosh, Daniel. And this is great because you can just toggle them on and off. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's really cool. Yeah. So, and I don't know a solution to that. Uh, it depends on where that .cls data comes from. Right. And there's no, like, server ability. Like, bas- I've sort of thought about it, and I think the only options are a Tailwind, uh, like, Chrome extension. Um. Or right. what I do is include one of the caveman files locally mm-hmm. so that I get all that searching and designing as well as the JIT build and then remove the caveman for production. Which means that you actually, none of your assurances that things that work in dev will work in production are valid then. Right. And what I'm describing is the kind of thing where I'm like manually commenting it out because this mm-hmm. is just Caleb building a landing page. Mm-hmm. You know. What was the next topic, Caleb? This yeah. one, I feel like we've nailed. I think so too, Daniel. I think you've landed this plane. I think you should build it. 
Uh, I think. I don't know if I I will, but go on. I think you should <laughs> tell Marcel to build it, and then I think it'll be done. There needs to. Be, I think the what we've done is important. Established the tailwind jet is the bee's knees, mm-hmm. and then explored some ways to be able to use it without the cost of it. Of you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Daniel, uh huh. Um, what do you want to talk about next? Give me some options, buddy. Live wire internals. Mm-hmm. Alpine day. Mm-hmm. Base camp. Mm-hmm. Um, live wire consulting stuff and JavaScript closures. What are we able to or willing to say about Alpine Day? Anything we want. Anything I think, we want. I think a bit. I don't know. All right. I feel like the only thing we shouldn't do is announce really any speakers who haven't like locked in maybe. Okay, know. cool. So you and I have been talking about Alpine Day quite a bit every week, basically, on Wednesday. Yep. yep. We've been talking about Alpine Day. You've been out there making moves. You've been talking to people. Yep. Um, oh, okay. So Alpine Day, it's a bunch of talks, 18 minutes. Yep. Um, can we talk about the price? Sure, yeah. So pricing is going to be 18 early bird, 24 day of, basically. Yep, something like that. Something like that. And then probably six-ish speakers. Not day of either. I think it'll be yeah, not like, day of, but like post early, early bird. birds, maybe like the first week or yeah, two yeah. weeks or something. But yeah, post early bird. Go on. And then probably six-ish speakers, right? Yep, yep, um, six speakers. Caleb's going to do like a first talk and a second talk. First talk is going to be sort of state of Alpine. And then second talk is going to be like all the new stuff and big launch and yep. push the button, make things live for Alpine V3. Yep. Um, there's going to be a new docs site. There's going to be new Alpine branding. Alpine's like moving out of the phase of being a Git repo with a readme. Yep. Um, growing up. Growing up. And uh, yeah, it's pretty dope. Yep. What else is there? To- oh, we are talk- we were talking about like how we're going to handle like registration and all of that. And you just spoke to GitHub sponsors. Yep. And yeah. we're able to use GitHub sponsors for registration, basically. Basically. Yep. You want to explain that? Yeah. I mean, I there's like hurdles involved with that. The, the big hurdle with using GitHub sponsors for something like this is not being able to... You don't get email addresses for people who sponsor you. So it's not like like I can say, hey, if it's, a, it's not like I can create a new Alpine Day account, set up sponsors and say, you know, just sponsor it. And then on the day of, you'll get an email with a link. Mm-hmm. I can do that. Oh, and but, when we say sponsor, by the way, to be clear, we're talking about one-time payments. We're not talking yeah, about Yeah, one-time payment. Um, so you pay the $18 or whatever. Now you're a sponsor to that org. And the two big restrictions are there's no way to send a welcome email with GitHub sponsors. There's no way to trigger a like, hey, like you just bought this thing. Now you can rest in peace knowing that we know you bought it and you'll mm-hmm. get notifications about it. I can't do that stuff. Um and then also on the day of, if you opt out of email updates when you sign up, there's no way for me to contact you. So I have no idea how to tell you how to get to the thing if you, for whatever reason, unchecked the email me updates right. box, which I imagine a fair number of people do, but I don't know. Um, so yeah, so outside of that, it's just like an easy thing to use it for. But uh, yeah, so I just have to overcome some of those hurdles. And uh, yeah. And, and it's good to go. there are ways to overcome them. Sort of, 
sort of, I still don't know where I've landed. I think I'm just going to put a lot of messaging that's like, don't uncheck email me updates and then maybe find a way. Actually, there is no way to my knowledge to, to know who didn't get an update and then try to hunt them down myself. Mm -hmm. So it might just be one of those things I have to make up for with. Yeah. I don't know. There's also always the option. And we've sort of talked about this. Yeah. Of just making a page that has email address and a sign up button and the sign up button sends them to github sponsors where they may have to enter their email address again right yep and Um, then we're just manually collecting their email addresses somewhere yeah they don't have to give their email address to github sponsors it's just their github account right um but if they don't have a github account for some reason that's shocking though no one's coming right that is shocking yeah that's that would be kind of crazy but if they didn't yeah they would they would have to sign up um the problem with that is i don't have any hard link you know i don't have any way to know for sure and like when you do something th- through gumroad or something you have a list of emails mm-hmm. people you know bought the thing mm-hmm. with github sponsors there's actually no way to do that right now mm. and so that's something that talking with the folks a little bit about ways things that they can add that might Are allow there... me to hack my way into that okay so when you like check that someone is logged in through GitHub sponsors, like you do yeah. on your screencast page right now, yeah. what info do you get about the user when that happens? Um, I get a bunch of info about the tier they signed up for, the sponsor tier, but, do you but get about like the GitHub user username ID? themselves. Yeah, I get their ID, I get their username. And then if all can you like look up their user record, does that record have an email address? Sometimes. Only, it's only publicly available username stuff. Okay. It's only stuff that you can get from the normal look up a user API. Some people choose to expose their email publicly. Most people don't. Yeah. 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 But if you put it on there, I could find it. If you have your, you know, any and other, GitHub like doesn't have any sort of like user to user messaging, do they? No, not to my knowledge. Yeah. DMs or something. I don't think so. Yeah. You could make. You could make a repo and make an issue for each user and at them, or you you mm. do at Jeff Smith in the issue and it will send them an email that says Interesting. a GitHub issue has been posted. That is actually not a terrible idea. It's only that's problem a terrible is terrible idea. What do you mean? The problem. Well, I like that it's like actually accomplishes the goal. The problem is that uh, like I don't have notifications for that kind of stuff email notifications right, right and a lot of people don't well yeah because you're you're a big public maintainer yep um yeah so i don't know man i think i'm just gonna tell people to not uncheck that box and okay. cross my fingers and just make it easy and now i'm thinking well I, I had this flash of like maybe i should have just for the alpine day site linked to the github sponsors read me for an alpine day org that just has all the info. And I think I will still do something like that. That would be so the opposite of the spirit of moving away from using GitHub readmes for things. <laughs> no, I still love still love a good readme. I think what I'm going to do is have a really fancy Alpine Day site that Jack McDade is designing. And it's uh-huh. really cool looking. And instead of having like all of the speaker info and the schedule and everything, there's a button, buttons to go find out that information. And that just takes you to the sponsorship page. And the README has that those details. Mm-hmm. 
which I think is fair, right? Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's I'm trying to day. like not waste a ton of time building out Alpine Day stuff when I should be working on Alpine stuff mm-hmm. to launch on Alpine Day. You know. Yeah, I think that's solid. Yeah. Um. The branding looks good. I like your font choice. Thanks, Go bud. Docs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I did that. Um, I was playing around with some of that stuff we were talking about with the stuff. yeah. So I'll uh, show it to you while the user is not that. What am I doing? Alpine docs dot test. So that's what yeah, I came yeah, up with so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Tried a bunch of different things, and I think this I is make really it a clean. gray instead of a black. I tried the gray. Um, I'm gonna bounce back and forth on it. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's cool though. I like it. Um. Yep. I came up with this. The my first tagline for Alpine on the splash page was uh, for JavaScript minimalists. Mm-hmm. And and I just switched it to, you won't believe what 10 kilobytes of JavaScript can do. What do you think? Hell yeah, I love it. I like it too. It's got a voice, you know? Yeah. So working on it. Um, yeah, I have the vision now for that page. I feel good about it. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. I like what you're I, saying. Daniel. Um, Talk to me about this live wire hour with an expert. Oh yeah. So this is a great thing to talk about because I want to know your opinion because you could be the expert. So somebody messaged me today Mm -hmm. and said, um, basically that like they love live wire and this is how the person put it. This is really funny. I'm about 50% sure you could make some decent money offering live wire Alpine consulting, even if it's, not you, but just some vetted pros. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that he said, I'm about 50% sure. <laughs> I love it. Um, he said he loves live wire, but when he gets stumped on something, sometimes it can be maddening trying to troubleshoot it. Sure. Which I understand. Um, and I'm working on it. I'm working on rewriting everything so that it's like super rock solid and never makes you really angry, but that mm-hmm. could be a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... I think that this is a, a like something that I've explored for a long time. Remember we talked about like about like a la carte consulting yep. when I was first wanted to make money. Like what if instead of, you know, what if you just went to the site and booked an hour and paid mm-hmm. right there like a shopping cart? Um, well, I don't want to do that personally, but what if there were people like you? So let's let's say in the future, maybe there'd be multiple. But let's just say right now for this thought experiment, you you want to do actually, let me ask you straight up. Would you want to do like hour and a half consulting calls, like one-off consulting calls to help people troubleshoot LiveWare and Alpine bugs and issues and refactoring, stuff like that? It'd be interesting. So the downside of it is that it's likely to be useful to somebody. They would need to be able to book it and have it happen pretty close to when they booked it. So you wouldn't get a lot of notice Right. about these times and yes that means that you would need some system for people entering their availability and basically holding those hours yeah which is really difficult yes um, that's and so the if tough. there's not a guarantee that you're going to get a certain number of hours from it then it's really not worth it to hold hours that you know but if it was a thing where it's like I don't know if it was a thing where it was like you can't book anything in the next like three days, but like here's some times that you can book, you know? Yeah. That'd be fine. But uh, my concern would be that like 
that wouldn't actually be useful to anybody because if they had three days to sit and think about this issue, they would fix it. <laughs> yep. You know? Yeah, I, I would think most people would want help in the day in the, the day or the day after. Yeah. Yeah, which is tough. Yeah, it's really that, tough. You're, you're right. Like, that's the tough part. Of, that's the hard part of this problem. It Because in my mind, like, so many tools could benefit like let's just say we turn this into a SaaS app for a thought experiment. It's called like I don't know, fix me or yeah. expert expertly. <laughs> it's called expertly. And the idea is uh you you have a successful project, whatever, some tool, and you know the experts of that tool. They mm-hmm. sign up, mm-hmm. they specify availability slots. Mm-hmm. And then you link to this on your docs page or whatever, and people can go and find an expert, mm-hmm. you know, and just book a slot, pay right there. Then the person gets notified. They each get a Zoom link. And then at that time, they hop on Zoom and fix the problem. And then if they want to book another one, go book another one. Sure. There's this um, expression engine e-commerce plugin called Cartthrob. Nice. Which is like sort of the like WooCommerce of expression engine okay and i have sadly had to use it on two different websites in my life um (laughs) and it's very bad and the docs are very bad but it's kind of the only game in town if you want like a robust expression engine e-commerce solution yep and it's run by this dude and he at one point i just checked his website to see if this still exists but at one point he had this thing on his website where you could basically do just that you could when you Mm. like created a support ticket you had the option to like book an hour of support time for like $300 or some like pretty yep. high amount. And I actually did that twice because like wow. the thing was so bad. Yeah. Um, but it basically worked exactly. This was just before Zoom. So it was like we got on a Skype call yeah, and like screen shared and stuff. But like it worked fine. Yeah. Um, but this guy was making enough money from Cartthrob that he was working on Cartthrob full time, but didn't have enough Cartthrob work that he had enough time to also do these support calls. Right. Mm. Yep. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't see the immediate thing, right? Like the way I'm doing these sponsor or these, not sponsor, these mentor calls right now is I have like a standing weekly call with these people. Yeah. Yeah, which is nice because they know that call is coming up, so they save up problems for me. Yep, and then we right. like talk about them, right? Yep. And you've done these, so you know what this is. But like, um, this is like uh, this is hard because it's like, first of all, you know these are hard problems. Some of them might be actual bugs in Livewire, right? Yep. Some of them might be, you know, whatever. Um, and uh. So they're going to require like people of a certain like familiarity with the the core. For sure. And those people like probably want to be out there selling their time, you know. So I think the only way to really do it would be to like have the hourly rate be so high that they can just like be like, all right, I'm going to. Like, yeah, I'll take an extra 300 yeah. bucks yeah, exactly. for an hour of my time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see it working perfectly. And I think maybe. In reality, if I did anything, it would just be like a list of experts, maybe on a, on the troubleshooting page or something. And then 
links to contact them. Yep. Put and the headline, I need an handle. hour of your time or something. Yeah. And then let them handle the sort of. Yeah. Just be like lead generation for high quality live wire mm-hmm. developers, um, which there there are, they are out there and they would do this kind of thing. So the um, other option would be you just say like, you have a group of people who you vetted as kind of like high quality live wire developers, right? Yeah. And you give them access to a page that is just a list of people who have asked for an hour, right? Yeah. Um, and then those people put in some times that work for them, but there's no guarantee that someone's going to fill that slot, you know? But then if there is a developer who has time to fill that slot, then they could like claim it or something. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. It's pretty interesting because that that would be beneficial from the per, from the perspective of the person who has the problem to be able to put the blanket out to everybody to blanket their request. To like, yeah, and I mean like, and chances are that somebody has time to f- handle this thing. It's just that a specific person might not. Right. So like, if there is like a person who is willing to pay two hundred fifty bucks for an hour in the next two days, right? Yep. Right. Either me or Jason or, you know, any of the any of the other sort of live wire alpine guys out there um, would someone would be able to cover that. Right. Yep. And so, like. If there was a place where it was like more a la carte as the programmer or like as the consultant rather than yep. like a la carte as the client where like the client gets to sort of just like claim an hour of your time. If the client got to submit a request and then you claim a request. Yeah. I think that would work better. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty interesting that that is kind of a, like, let's say that there's a pool of like five people and then on the liveware site or whatever, somewhere there's a form that you specify like the title of your problem and then a description, Mm -hmm. a brief description. And you just hit and the button is titled like, request help from experts whatever mm-hmm. and and then you all get an email there's a button in that email to claim it yep. and when you claim it then it's yours and you're you interact with the person directly um and if somebody else claimed it maybe you maybe there's a follow-up that gets sent or maybe you hit claim and it takes you to a site that says this has already been claimed you mm-hmm. know like it could be a really really simple app to build to manage the emailing of this and collecting of this stuff. Um, and yeah, I, it's definitely the way to do it. Not dealing with schedules at all. Just dealing with like establishing communication between one person who doesn't care who they get. So you and a group do of need to deal with schedules. That's the whole point. Why is that? Can't it just send a group? Can't it just send an email out to everybody who's on the list? Right. But and in that email needs to be when this would be. Oh, or else right. I don't like, know whether or not I can claim it. Right. I guess what I was thinking in that model is you would reach out to them and figure out a time together. Right. But then, but then we re, then we run into the problem of like now we yeah. have information that becomes private. Right. So now this person tells right. me, "Hey, I'm only available Tuesdays and Thursdays," and I say, "Oh, sorry, I'm not available Tuesdays and Thursdays." So yeah, now I have to unclaim it. Right. And then so, Jason reaches out to them and says, "Hey." What, do, what times are available? So now they're having the conversation about what times they're available five different times until they reach someone who's available during that time. So what if it's like for... The submitter th- there's would a, have for to say There's a for seven sometimes. days. Yeah. They, 
it's just like they just highlight any time that they're available to take the call. Yep. And we we make it really grand or really not granular. So you either select yep. morning, afternoon, or evening. Oh, interesting. Okay. Thursday or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. Right? Yep. Seven seven days and yep. you check everything starts out unchecked. Right. And you check what days you're available to take the call. Or what which of the three slots you're available to take the call. Um and then you obviously like change your time zone, right? And like we'd have to do time zone conversions for whatever. Right, right. Yep. Dude, I mean I think that's cool. And then everybody yeah, like if you want to be an expert, quote unquote, on this list, you Yeah, dude, pretty interesting. If you want to be an expert on this list, you sign up and you specify your time zone. Mm -hmm. Like I add you, add your time zone. I add your name, your time zone, your email address, your photo. And then Well, no, time zone doesn't matter, right? You don't need to know my time zone because I'm just going to not claim anything that I can't do. I guess I'm just saying if I were to send an email to you with a graphic of timing, it would be helpful if it was in your own time. Oh, 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 I see. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, dude, that's a pretty cool MVP version of this, this thing. And then how do like, you know, it could just be a th- like, it would be cool if Livewire headquarters profited from this interaction. No, for sure. You know? Yeah. So I think that once it's claimed, so here, here would be the workflow, right? So they submit a request, request gets claimed, client yep. confirms, right? Yep. Confirmation includes a credit card charge right now. Right. They pay. Wait. Wait, when does this happen? They submit so, the request. So it's a it's a handshake, right? So it's like right. re- request, claim, confirm. Ah. So the request, client claim, confirm. Yep. Right. And they have to confirm in some amount of time that you're not holding off, holding up that time on your calendar. Yeah, you twelve know. hours or whatever. Yep. Right. Twenty four hours. I don't know, but or the, no, they just have to confirm before. 12 hours before the thing. Interesting. Right? Okay. So it's like you yeah. can't confirm like five minutes before the time. Right. So it's like confirm by uh, 12 p.m. for your 12 a.m. consultation. Dude, this is pretty interesting. Right? This actually could be the SaaS app where it's like it's called expertly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then and you just, you just, you link just sell to- this to everybody. Yeah. And then this is how people can fund their open source projects. Yep. Caleb. It's pretty good. This is pretty hot. Okay, so then the confirmation itself, you can't click confirm until you've just submitted the credit card payment, right? Um, yes, right, totally. You have to pay up you front. You have to pay. Then Calendly you, or expertly is the thing that like I collect the pay. I deal with the paying. I guess that's the annoying thing is like, Whatever, if I'm making this now, I have to actually like be a broker, you know? Well, no, no, so this is the cool thing though, right? Is like, you could just use like Stripe Connect for this, right? Yeah, right. So everyone who's an expert sets up their own like payout setup, right? right. And then the 250, let's call it $250, right? Yep. $250 yep. comes in, 50 of it goes to you, 200 goes to the person. Yep. And like that 200 bucks is a pretty good hour. Um and you're making 50 bucks for nothing exploiting the uh labor of the working man um <laughs> and then <laughs> and then uh 
then you're good. No, I, I, I make $50 for something, but just at some point in time that converts to me just stealing. Right. But upfront, it's upfront. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's not theft for a given number of hours, depending right, on yeah. how many hours you've spent building LiveWire. Exactly. Yes. And as long as you keep building LiveWire, then it's no longer theft. It's, it's only when you retire itself. from LiveWire but continue to. Yes. Right. Collect. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it becomes theft. Perfect. Daniel, uh-huh. uh, this is a good idea. This is a good idea. We should just this build this, and then sell it to people. Like yeah. this would be a fun thing to build. Yep. Yep, Daniel. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, the claiming, the not being like on call, being on call would be terrible, right? Yep. But if it's just like, yeah, claim this support ticket and like you can have it and make some money, it'd be pretty chill. Yep, 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 yep. And it's important that the maintainer is responsible for allowing people to become experts on certain topics yes totally because it's curated the, by the maintainer 100 curated by the maintainer because the silicon valley venture funded version of this yeah would be that's too yeah, slow right. it's too yeah. slow to get all of these different projects right. maintainers invested in this so instead yeah we're going to go out and recruit people to be experts on all these different topics and then yes we're going to do our own validation of these people <laughs> right 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 and then you have this sort of like unofficial official thing like top tal or something like that yeah right where it's like oh yeah you wouldn't need to hire a rails developer well they've gone through like our top tal boot camp where they we've yep. stress tested them and made sure they really know rails or whatever yep. um this is much better because it's like, you know, the maintainer can just be like, oh, well, I know for sure that like Jason Beggs is good. I know for sure that, you know, whatever, Titan is good. Yep. And that'd be cool for Titan too. Like Titan could just like grab some of these up, you know, and okay. be like, oh, we have someone who's sitting on the bench who's like, you know, not assigned to a project right now, but like, if they can grab five support tickets on Laravel, Livewire, and Vue over right. the course, like say that all three of those things had had like right. a... Right, they could subscribe to all those feeds yeah. per se. And then they could just have someone just kind of sitting around like doing like pairing sessions with randoms. Pretty interesting that it, like if there's too many quote unquote experts and if people want to make like a full-time thing of it, you're competing with your fellow experts to hit that button you know, as quickly yep. as possible. Yep. Um, so you could impose limits, I guess, if there was like what I would say you should not competition do. or something. You should definitely not do something where you can undercut each other on price. Right. No, I would think that the price would be set across the board. Uh huh. It would be set by the maintainer. So it, it's the model is that it's not just connecting you with a freelancer; it's connecting you with help. Mm-hmm. You know. A standard um, level of help. Well, and the other cool thing that you could do is like you could have, if there's a ton of expert, you could have like some smart recommendations based on how many are coming in mm-hmm. that like, hey, it might be, you might want to add another expert. I want to bump up. Yeah. 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 And like you could yeah. like show some analytics for like how long is the average ticket going unclaimed. Right. And yep. if you see that it's like five seconds, then it's like maybe we can stop adding experts like we probably have enough experts you know right yep um you could, but if it's you like could, 48 like, hours then it's dibs. like let's let's bring in some more people stuff like that yeah 
Yep. No, it'd be really good. And then collecting, um, you know, you could collect feedback from people and who've used it and post that on the page, you know, like where you go to add their, your thing and be like, oh, it was great. I paid for an hour, got my problem solved in a half hour. Uh, you know, Daniel was a, was a charm. Yeah. I Love think that I think that's dope. Yeah. And then you could do Two like rate, ratings for people. Yeah. And then that way, if you needed to decrease number of experts, you just <laughs> knock off the yep. low rated ones. I might start with just the super duper MVP talk to you, Jason, like a few other people who are like really into live wire and would want some extra like piecemeal work mm-hmm. and just do like a super basic form and a super basic email. Um, Cause I do, th- it's tough. It's a thing that I think it's a good idea. I want to do something. I want all the things about it. I want people to have access to, to help. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to have to like pay for maintenance uh, contracts and like do like huge upfront things, but just get, I want people to get it quickly and I want to uh, profit off of that um, and all that stuff so that, you know, so, so yeah, but I, but all of the hurdles that were described before were standing in my way. So this is a good, this is a good uh, solution. So I think, I think the, the way forward is something super, super, super small and see if it has any legs. Mm-hmm. And if it has legs, just build. I bet it will, dude. Like It might, it I, might. If it had a hook in the troubleshooting part of the docs mm-hmm. and in the in the troubleshooting part of the docs and in the github like discussion or issue template or something yeah um then it, it would be right there for the people who are searching for it i mean if you just stuck it in the website nav yeah it could be in there too right yep yep or like if you made like a support page or something yeah, this is good. The live the liveware docs are a Laravel app, so I can just build it into the Laravel app. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. And then you can expand it for Alpine and then you can whatever. Right. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. What is that? That's uh pretty curb your enthusiasm. Pretty 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 good. Pretty 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 good. So, Daniel, are we good on that, or do you want another topic? No, I feel topic? great about that. Okay. Do we need to talk about Basecamp at all? Yeah. Because it's yeah. going to be old news if we talk about it any other time. Yeah. Yep, yeah, yeah. Here's the deal with Basecamp, right? Um, here's my charity up front. I'm going to be charitable up front and, get cool. that and say that there is a kernel of good intentions at the heart of this thing, which is mm-hmm. that you don't want a workplace where people hate each other. Yep. Right. And yep. Uh, political conversations tend to become a catalyst for people to like, think less of each other. Yep. Right. And all those like, you know, tribalistic very quickly, you know, right. Categorize people and, Right, the conversations are on rails, like they end up, like the conclusion is sort of foregone in a lot of these conversations. Yep. I get it, right? It's probably hard to run a company if your employees are mad at each other over politics and you're trying to make software. Yep. That sounds difficult. That being said, (laughs) that being said, what a colossal fucking blunder. Holy shit. <laughs> like, holy shit. 
so it was incredible. First of all, it's a bad policy. There's no way to implement this policy. This can be like a wish that you have at home and be like, oh man, I wish my employees didn't talk about politics. And maybe you can like sort of design the workplace to be like less conducive to having like heated political discussions. Because like, you know, if this came out of something where it was like, there was like some heated upheaval internally, you know? Yep. Then like, you could like design the world to like make that less likely, right? Right. Um, but what you cannot do <laughs> is walk into a room of like full human beings who are like political entities, you know, and just be like, not at work, you're not, you're not political here. Like here, you're only a producer of goods that make me money. Here, you do not get to have opinions and you definitely don't get to talk about them. Right. You can talk about them on your own time, but you can't talk about them here. Right. But we can talk about politics as they relate to making me money. That's part of the policy. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly tone deaf. It's there's no there's absolutely just from a tactical perspective. There's no way to implement this policy that doesn't make people mad at you. Um, yeah. I mean, your employees. And that's that's just if you implement the policy privately. Like if you just right, told right. your employees no more talking okay, about politics. Gonna, yeah. Everyone would, all of your employees would be mad at you, except yep. for the ones who are like uh, conservatives who are like feeling oppressed about that. Um, those ones wouldn't be mad at you probably because they. You think so? Probably. Well, yeah, I think so. Well, I think there is there's something there that we could get into, but go on. I think those people are generally the people who want to not talk about politics because they're. They're gonna get because, like yeah, steamrolled. They don't wanna, yeah, exactly. Which I think is not a good thing. I think that's that's like kind of the core reason that stuff like this happens. Sure. Well, let's talk about all that in a second. For sure. So you implement this policy even at a private level. Yep. You're going to make your employees incredibly angry at you, <laughs> right? But yeah. But put a blog post out. So then your DHH and Jason Fried, some of the most like looked up to business running people who've made their entire brand about like how great we are to our employees. We're such a yeah, good place yeah. to work. We're really pioneering running a good company here, yep. you know? And then you take this basically like categorically bad policy and then you just implement it in public and don't tell your employees about it first. They find out about it on Twitter, right? That's the dumbest thing. That's that crazy. is a colossal fuck up. Like so, the absolute hubris like, of thinking that that would work at all is unbelievable. The, em the employees found out about this from that post. Some of them did, at least. I've okay. heard from certain Basecamp employees on Twitter that they. Because if that was the case, I mean, that is like it's just a just, colossal bungle. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's that's the that that was the one thing that definitely stood out to me as um as like oh wow. They're going straight to blogging and and Twitter before really like hashing this out internally. Yeah. Which is uh, pretty crazy. And it Shocking. definitely very much has the air of of like, we're going back to full power. We're going back to, to you know, yeah. me and DHH being the gods. Yep. Um, it was and, very oh, did you see like, people several we've overextended ourselves. We're contracting. 
several people if you don't like it get the hell out tweeted at dhh and jason freed and asked if they would voluntarily support a union that had the backing of a majority of base camp employees and got insta blocked on twitter wow <laughs> that's it's crazy it's really like I mean, it's insanely tone deaf, and it's so obvious that these people have kind of become drunk with, like, being the guys who are right about things, mm. you know, where they're like, because they sandwiched it in a couple other policies that were like, yeah, like, it's like, no more paternalistic leave or uh, no more paternalistic bonuses, right? Because they had like a health stipend or whatever. And they're like, we're not going to tell you what to do with the money. We're just going to give you the money. You don't have to go get a gym yeah. membership with it, whatever. Which makes sense. Like, yeah. I can see both sides on that. Sure, for sure. sure. But all I'm saying is, like, I think that's, like, a fine thing. And that's something they would normally announce because their whole handbook is public and whatever. Yeah, totally. Right. But they just kind of sandwiched this one in like it was, like, the same type of thing as those other things. Which yeah. it is absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they slipped it in there. But they, they said it first. That was the first bullet point. So it's not like they were like, oh, yeah. And by the way, <laughs> yeah. but they definitely it was like that's probably part of the reasoning was like this is all part of a broader. If I had to paint a picture here or tell a story about what may or may not have happened, probably lots of people have brought it sounded like the the it doesn't have to be crazy at work debacle was mm-hmm. one of the things mm-hmm. that probably pissed them off is that probably internally they debated ad nauseum about DHH probably wanted to put crazy in the title it doesn't have to be crazy at work and people probably said that's ableist Mm -hmm. and that you should include words like that and they probably argued about it a bunch and he probably researched a ton of stuff and dug his heels into the ground and fought hard against an employee and they probably fought hard back and eventually he just did it and he was probably exhausted by that and probably felt bad that he like really squashed somebody and had Mm -hmm. to and he probably also felt like why do i have to answer for these ridiculous escalations i'm sure he classifies that as an escalation mm-hmm. and then he deals with it again with the um with the escalation of the name list where like mm-hmm. uh, an internal folly and i don't think anybody read that and went base camp's horrible they had this list they went mm-hmm. like oh i could see doing something like that not really thinking and then it going too far and then yeah, wanting yeah. to kill it like i think that's a reasonable thing but then people like not stopping about how you know, this is a path to genocide and needing him to like bow down, bend over and whatever. And he sure. didn't want to have it. Sure. And so he was probably so fed up with all this. And like, this is taking so much time and attention away. And it's so irrational in so many ways that we're going to shut it all down. Yeah. And we're not going to allow it because it's a huge distraction and it's not good for our company. And I don't like being put in this position. And I don't think my employees like being put in this position. So we're going to shut it all down and we'll write a blog post. And we'll come out and say it because that's what we do. But wrapped up in that, I'm sure he's like, and this speaks to the broader point of like shoring up, you know, I don't even know how this conversation went. Shoring up authority. These committees are, you know, I, but I, I think at the end of the day, it would be silly to think that it didn't all spur from him really hating those interactions where people were escalating these, these, uh, it definitely did. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, especially people like that who are like kind of like auteurs, or whatever what's that an auteur what's an auteur i don't know what that is all right people who are telling me i just don't know it's like uh it's like a someone who like like an artist who sort of creates sort of like inspired works that people look up to like a oh okay like a francis ford coppola or like uh like a david lynch or what you know like these auteurs anyway people who have this kind of like creative like sort of floating above it all andy warhol vibe 
you know, that I feel like DHH has where it's like, he's this creative force. We don't bother his process. We just kind of wait for things to magic to pop out of him, you know, and he enjoys that reputation. Right. Totally. And like people like that who are all tours. Sure. Yeah. He's made good things. The. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Go on. Um, they do not like to be challenged on their process. Right. Yeah. Because their process is like successful at making things. Right. Yep. But it's like, yep. yeah, yeah, but like your process may in some instances also be like making other people's lives harder. Right. And yep. so like when you basically create a rule that says like, first of all, like no definition of like, we're no longer going to talk about political or societal issues at work. If you're not sure whether what you're about to say is a political or societal issue, ask us privately first and we'll tell you if you're, we're okay with you talking about it or not. Yeah. Like, it's so clearly designed to protect management, to protect the owners from their employees, you know? And, like, if you go out and publicly make a statement that is, like, so clearly designed to protect you from the people who, whose lives and sort of... Yeah. Whose, like, livelihood you basically kind of control in this puppet-like fashion, um, yeah. it's super sketchy and weird, you know? Like... It just reeks of this like weird kind of like controlling paternalistic vibe, which I think people don't like. Yeah. I mean, I, I have had experiences in organizations with people like that who are so set in their thing and are the ultimate authority and whatnot, yeah, yeah. especially when those people deal with, with things like diversity, inclusion, these sort of like liberal, uh, you know, uh specifically like hr liberal sure yes and they and then like they're the authoritarian it's like it's like but they're they wrestle with it because like they're authoritarian but like they have to not be Mm -hmm. but then they approach an authoritarian way it doesn't work and i hate that experience and i would hate to work for a company like Basecamp, where you where they are the only people who get to be all great and powerful Mm -hmm. you know Mm mm-hmm like and everybody else just falls in line like yeah like, i can't who's the third imagine most famous person at base camp ryan singer well okay who's the fourth most famous <laughs> person at base camp? steven uh or what's sam stevenson <laughs> then then javon or you know there, yeah. there are a few you know but yes they're they're, but they're not like, like breakout stars on the level of like, no yeah. ryan singer is yeah singer is yeah, yeah um but he doesn't have like equity or anything sure to my knowledge um who knows and uh but yeah so like you have this thing that is this i don't know i mean i think it reeks of like what a horrible place to work (laughs) where but i am i am always willing to listen because i really have always respected their gusto Mm -hmm. and their bravery in Mm -hmm. like charting out a new path and i even have that mentality with this like i am willing to listen and I want to see what comes of it. I personally, I think, I think we can't deny that like DHH has, is like a really good he's programmer not a, for sure. No, no, no. He even has like yeah. good, he, no, a he good has, ideology. He has had a lot of good takes on like companies treating their employees badly for sure. Th- that uh-huh. for sure. And he's had lots of good progressive takes. Like he's a progressive person. Sure. You know? Yeah. He has he's, like progressive ideals. And he's acted on them. Right. But the, it it's always interesting, right? Because, like, this is the thing that I think, like, 
as a person who sees all politics through the lens of class, right? Like, yeah, I think that people, and this is like a thing, like PMC people, or sorry, professional managerial class, <laughs> people like David and Jason, right? Who are in these yeah. roles of like managing other people whose interests are not aligned with the people they manage, right? Yeah. Whose like class yeah. interests are not aligned with the people they manage, right? Yeah. Um, can have liberal ideals and have liberal aspirations, but very often when the rubber meets the road, their class interest uh, overcomes their ideals, right? Like I live, I just have like such, so much experience with this living in Asheville because Asheville is such a like insanely liberal, very wealthy PMC town full of these just like wealthy white liberals who have so many of these like liberal ideals except when it comes to like hey could we build public housing near your house and they're like fuck you sure <laughs> you know? yeah. like and it's just it's these sorts of things like, like champagne liberals is that the word well champagne socialist is like champagne a socialist yeah. yeah sort of yeah but like these i mean it's very much just like when it comes down to like liberal ideals and like things that you like are willing to take like a moral stand on saying that other people are yeah. bad about something or not bad about something. Right. Like DHH is very willing to go out on Twitter and say like, Oh, you're bad for this or you're, this is a bad yeah, yeah. thing that Microsoft is doing or that whoever's doing. Yes. Right. Um, Apple. <laughs> but when it comes down to yeah, Apple often, but when it comes down to his actual class interests, yeah. Like, or something that like inconveniences his ability to be the king of his little domain. Then it's like, fuck, no, you don't get to t you don't get to complain about the title of my book, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> which is yes, I, I envision actually working at base camp to be a living nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, imagine going toe to toe with DHH. Imagine how intimidating that is. And imagine how he and he can fire how, you and you can't fire him. Well, there's always the whole that, time. But I'm thinking of like past experiences with bosses who are similar to him in that way, uh -huh. outspoken, opinionated, confident, mm -hmm. well-known, and like you do not want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. The power dynamic is insane, and I love that he acknowledged that in his letter. I think that's really important mm -hmm. because like that would be crazy. I would hate that, and he's one of those people who I bet is so, so unbelievably set in his opinion mm -hmm. and will only get worse mm -hmm. the more you communicate with him. Mm-hmm. And it would just be a nightmare. It would be a nightmare. And then not being like, you know what? I envision a great place to work, a small place that's really like humble. Yeah, like a zangle. Like brag about all their stuff all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and isn't like writing books constantly about how to work. Although I must say, I really benefit from them. And I really like the fact they did and they've taught me a ton. Yeah. And I owe so much to those guys. For sure. I mean it. For sure. Like so much. And all their books are on my shelf and I've learned a ton but I would hate to freaking work at a place that wrote a bunch of books about how to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would like to work at, yeah, like I would love to work at the humble place where you're respected and trusted. You have direct communication with the people who make decisions. You get to make or decisions yourself. Or you are yourself. one of the people who makes decisions. Yeah. And if you value something, it becomes like a company value, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of that stuff's hard to maintain at a bigger organization. And that's the thing. So like, I don't know how much I've talked publicly about the like, the three-person web shop scaling nonprofit backend like idea. I know I've talked about yeah. it a little bit, but like this is something I really want, right? Is the yeah. ability to create small teams because none of these problems exist in small teams. If you have yes, a small right. three-person team, 
Yeah. The, guess what? These problems just don't exist, right? Because it's like you're ha- you're in real communication with your fellows, right? Yeah. You're not. There's no one dominant person, and if everyone has the same equity, there's no power imbalance, right? All this stuff. Yep. And then if you can just scale modularly, where it's like a series of different three-person shared teams that all maintain equity in their own three-person team, yeah. Under some sort of umbrella nonprofit that also does all the back office stuff and healthcare stuff and all the other sort of difficult stuff, like then you just don't have this situation, right? It's like a flatter organization and it's more democratic and it's more, you know, like these are the things. And I don't think I've like given the whole pitch for it. And like, I should give a better pitch for it, but we're kind of running out of time. Um, But like, I think that base, I guess this is what I'd say. I think Basecamp is probably one of the best uh, small capitalist companies out there right that maintain this thing of like sort of a dictatorship of the equity owners you know and like Mm -hmm. they're benevolent they're clearly benevolent dictators right they clearly like want people to feel good at work they want they yeah and they recognize all these things they do take this position that like one of the reasons that we want you to feel good at work is because that makes you better at doing your work yeah. Right. So they do still have this thing where it's like, and also that makes me more money if you work less hours. Right. You know. Yes. Not, because in, I mean, you could say more money, and they they would say better, like better output, better product, better everything. Which means more money for them. No, I I know, yeah. but I'm saying like, like they're sort of synonyms, and that's what they say. Yeah. Or or double speak. You could call it synonyms. You could call it double speak. Right. Okay. But yeah. like. Because often people are just like too ashamed to say that they're doing this to make money, but like obviously they are. Yes, but also the 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 motives are aligned, you know. Like yeah, but until like they're not, they... that's the thing. Is like the motives are aligned, and that can trick you into thinking that their primary motive is to make their employees happy, you know. Yeah, I mean, I really do think that some of part that a big part of their primary motive is, and this could just be drinking more of their Kool Aid, but part of their primary motive is to be unbelievably excellent and efficient. And that's why they haven't like taken on funding. I mean, I guess they took on investor Jeff Bezos, but they didn't like, they could scale much bigger than they have, mm-hmm. you know? And like, they've always said like they're a slow growth company. They're sort of like, sort of like a lifestyle business but, for them. Yeah. yeah. But you it's like, I mean? they, I'm not saying that that's not a motivator for them. I'm not saying that they don't want those things, but I do wonder like what happens like in instances like this, where it's like the idea of like, being excellent and being admired by the internet and blah, 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 for like, like cool management stuff. Um, which in this case manifests in like calling my book, whatever the fuck I want. Cause I'm an auteur. Right. Yeah. Um, when that thing collides with like making sure that your employees are happy and making sure that everyone feels heard and gets their voices heard and is like a part, a contributing part of the whole or whatever, when those two things collide, like it's inevitably going to be the thing that David and Jason want more is going to be the thing that wins, you know? For sure. Yep. Um, yep. And I think that that's kind of the thing is like, I think Basecamp might be as good as you can be as a capitalist company. Um, and to be better than that, you need to break outside of the model of like an owner who then controls the whole ship. Right. You have to start breaking yeah. into like situations where there isn't actually a power imbalance. Like you remove the ability of someone to be a dictator because inevitably in this case, it was base camp and it took like whatever, 15 years for them to like have this colossal fuck up, right? Yeah. But like inevitably, like at some point on an infinite time scale, if you give a dictator enough time, 
he will have one of these sort of colossal fuck-ups where he hurts a bunch of people, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Could be. I have no way of knowing. That's just my feeling. It's like, and that's kind of like why I want to point my career in the direction of like alternative business structures. Right. And I dig know? that. I totally dig that. Um, on this base camp story, they, like, I think what, like one takeaway mm-hmm. for me or like what we have seen with this is that base camp, uh, or I think may- maybe the way that this has marred them. I mean, it's definitely marred them in, in certain ways, depending on your, um, depending on a lot of things. Cause I think depending on your political ideology, I think partially you feel differently about this, but also just depending on like, you know, there's lots of people who would whatever, who just think like, this is kind of ridiculous. You have to ban politics because you don't want to go toe to toe with employers. You don't want to go to, can't, can't you just like write a memo internally or find a way, or can't you just handle this internally? Like there's many ways to do this without putting this arbitrary well, and like everyone's been sharing that screenshot of the book where it says like don't just make a policy the first time someone wears shorts you know yep. don't right, just right. make a dress yes. code the first time someone dresses inappropriately just pull that person aside and be like hey could you like wear nicer pants next time exactly yeah. right so there's there's a lot about that but so i think the but one way that this has marred them in my eyes is it's sort of shown me something that i guess it would probably be obvious but it it's shown me that they're not really team players like to see, you know, um, uh, Sam Stevenson, like that dude, he, he like built every JavaScript open source thing and has worked on it forever. Mm-hmm. Like stimulus, turbo links, turbo, all that stuff, all that he works on all the time. And same thing with Javen or Javan or Yavin. And we'll see what he does, but s- he left. He's like, I'm not working on this stuff anymore, including rails. Like he just pieced out, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. Somebody who's so loyal for so long you have these people who've been there for like 15 years seven years five years and they're just dropping out which means that there was more of this type of stuff under the hood right which means that this is the last straw for some people probably it could also mean that there's a lot of like you know group think going on like like a lot of momentum Mm -hmm. like you know one guy's out because of he had a specific instance, but then like it's kind of this builds and everybody wants to stick it to him or something. Yep. You're right. It is, it does point to something else. But so for me, the big shift is kind of realizing that like, this is some really harsh stuff. Like just being like, here, we'll give you a severance piece out. If you want, here are the new rules. Just, just would really, if I were one of those guys who's been there forever, that would hurt. Yeah. I would be hurt by that. I would, I'd be yeah, like, I'm sure they are so it, like, clearly they are. It, I think what it's done is shown that like, their idea of being good to your employees is not my idea of being good to your employees. Yeah. And I, there's a lot you can learn from them, but this whole this whole thing is not one of those things. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think so either. But aside from all that, Colossal uh, I am very interested in this whole like backlash. Be- like I know how distracting those conversations are. And I agree with everything he says in his mosaic of positions post or whatever. I love that post. And think it's fantastic. I totally agree with him. Um, Which post? and so I guess we'll see. What's that? Which post? It's called Mosaic. Is it the second Mos- post or the? Yeah, I think it's the second one. Uh huh. DHH. I mosaic. thought that that one just felt like someone trying to say something profound to get out of taking responsibility for fucking up. To me, you could paint it as that. Yeah. But if you read it optimistically, if you give him Which a shot, I didn't. I'll give you that I didn't read it optimistically. If you read it, I mean, it's it really is fantastic because it's I mean it's everything I believe about like 
biases and how like what so we all just have to pick a package of ideologies pick a side and fight each other of course not but then we're not allowed to talk about them no i know but you have to you have to concede that i mean we both like you you said in the you you were being charitable in the beginning is like we have all been in these conversations if you haven't go to a family party sure and bring something like this up with an uncle Mm -hmm. or whatever and you will know exactly how unproductive this is um, and I've worked in places where this type of this type of unproductivity runs rampant, mm-hmm. and and I don't like that environment. Um, so anyway, I think it's an interesting move as a backlash to the this um, you know t- to the age we're in. Somebody like locking down and being like, you know what, we're gonna not participate in this game. Yeah, I don't know. I it it's just like a weird decision to make for other people, right? If you want to say. I, David Hanemeyer Hansen, am not going to engage in political conversations at work. If you try and start a political conversation with me, I'm going to give you my like copy paste of like, hi, my name is DHH and I don't engage in political conversations at work. If you'd like to talk to me outside of work hours, here's my Twitter. You can DM me, you know? Yeah, it might have been a place to start. And again, like but I like said, making that decision for your employees is kind of weird. Agreed. And it would feel, I'm, it's hard to envision how I would feel if all of, if I was, if all of the extra things, trappings around this were out of the equation, Yeah. how would I feel if somebody said that to me at work? Right. It would be, it would be very odd. It would feel preemptive and, uh, handholdy and a lot of weird things. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that I am still along for the ride and I'm very interested to see how this shakes out because yeah. I'm I mean, not I'm against the idea. I'm definitely interested to see how it shakes out. <laughs> I'm definitely yeah. interested to see how it shakes out um yep it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be crazy it's gonna be crazy so so yeah so there's uh there's base camp there's stay base tuned camp for folks you. for more uh base camp being dragged through the mud man and you know those dudes like i'm pretty sure they knew what was coming they had to know and they I kind of feel like they didn't fully know i don't think I they fully knew but they had to they know. thought that a bigger chunk of people would get in their corner yeah, or maybe. at least I think they thought that they would get like a, nah, this is a bad take, but like here's a nuanced perspective on it, you know? I don't think they anticipated their employees walking out like they have. Which is shocking if because they, they did, literally could have just them. asked their fucking employees if they were going to walk out if they did this. Yeah, that's... <laughs> like it's silly. wild that you have access to all of these employees <laughs> and it, you have this policy that very clearly could blow up in your face and you don't just run it by some people. <laughs> Yeah, it just, seems a little just wild. Take it to the streets, <laughs> baby. Yeah, but you know it makes for some really good Twitter drama. A good, a boy, nice week oh of Twitter, boy. Twitter uh, rage, outrage, drama. It's so. Oh uh, yeah. What a bungle, dude. Yeah. Yeah, bud. And then Taylor tweets out his thing. He said, boy, "Like, it's just a poll. It's like, do you think that it's okay to ban talking about societal and political topics at work?" Um, do you think it's it's an acceptable position to take to like do that at work to decide that that's going to be your organization? Yeah, is it nice? No, no, whatever. Like, it, is it okay to ban that stuff? I think it's um, stupid. Doesn't matter. He put the poll out and with yes or no, mm-hmm. and guess what the results are? I would say they're close to fifty fifty. That's pretty astute there, Decole. Um, let me see the latest but it was pretty close to 50-50. Yeah, that's because there's a ton of um, fucking conservative dudes in fucking... Who's in, in the lead? World. 
Uh, I would say the people who don't want to talk about politics at work are slightly in the lead. Yep. Yep. 52%. Yeah, that's because conservative white dudes are like overrepresented in programming. So, I mean, you're going to trigger me, Daniel. You're, you're going to trigger my trigger point. Um, I mean, I, I know what it's like to not have any... to The whole, like, even just saying, like, conservative white dudes to me is just like... Sure. You know, I hate that shit. Like, can we not just repeat the entire process by... I don't know. There's We don't have to get into it, but there's got to be a way forward that doesn't involve, like, um, this basically... Like using every sort, of uh, triggering able to every sort to of more than one person at once by using a set of words. No, don't do that now. <laughs> no, no, no. Derogatory. Well, like I, I didn't derog. I just used no. But when people say like it's generalizations, sweeping generalizations. Sure, which is just a word for using a couple of words to describe more than one person at once, right? Because like at some point you're going to reach a point where it's like, yeah, this doesn't actually 100 percent apply to everybody, but it. It's a generalization that's useful in order to have a conversation. Isn't the lesson here to not make sweeping generalizations Absolutely and target not. groups of people? No. What, why is it that is. the lesson? To me, that is a huge lesson in all of this. And it applies just as much to uh, conservative white dudes as it does to... I mean, I make the mistake myself all the time. But, you know, like, you know how, like, we're not targeting minority groups by saying, like the the whatever yeah the thems uh-huh you know sure like we're trying we trying to break down those walls yeah and we're, we're building not, them yeah up. we're trying not to group people up by things that they can't control exactly yeah but being conservative is not a thing that you can't control so the conservative one I- interesting i mean the way i guess the white dudes is definitely well more white dude is I'm just a predictor to. of conservative yeah, I don't know, Deke. I'm just saying the reason that, that there are so many conservative programmers is that there are so many white dudes who are programmers, and so many white dudes are conservative. That's why it's useful to say white dude. I don't like it. I don't like the word white dude. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> All right, I'm serious. I use it sometimes for sure. Yeah, but I hear myself when I say it. Sure, and I know that it's like, how are we gonna solve a problem if we're, you know, like. With basically our just introducing more defensiveness well just don't get defensive daniel that daniel you're not having a conversation with me daniel you're i but i, I feel like i am steel man me okay so make the best case of your argument yeah right all right so the idea then the best version of your argument so the best version of your argument as far as i can tell is like if people you have to steal man me next by the way um so if people go around calling people like conservative white dudes or whatever uh then the people who feel like that is like a generalization that they like partly they partly align with but there's like some nuance that is important and like separates them from the assumptions that you're making about that will then be turned off of the dialogue and will then like not engage and we won't actually solve any problems Yep. Because you're basically just 100%. alienating people. Yeah, you're just deepening that line in the sand. Sure. Yep. And you're it's the same, it's this feeling, I'll steal man you in a second. But here's here's a perfect um place to start this dis- or to like hang parts of these discussions off of. Like I when I'm 
I've been in circles or conversations, things where I've been, you know, talked to as like, you're the conservative white dude. You're, you know, you have like, you know, there's, uh, you're passive aggressive because stuff, you know, whatever Midwest nice, like, uh, whatever, all this stuff, all these values that I have as a conservative privileged person. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because my parents went to college and because whatever, like all of these things. Mm -hmm. And when I hear that, I'm like, okay, hold up. Both of my parents, my dad didn't finish college until like five years ago or 10 years ago or whatever. Sure. My mom dropped out after like nothing. My parents both grew up basically poor Mm -hmm. in the city. I grew up in the city and like we had WIC checks as a kid. Like we had no money Mm -hmm. and lived in like a city house that got foreclosed on. Mm -hmm. Like we had no money and we had like juice from the government every week. Like, And then, and then we moved to Hamburg because my, so like what somebody would say like, oh, a white flight in the suburbs and you just want to, and then if you talk to my parents, they'll be like, we couldn't wait. We were working tooth and nail to get our kids out of that garbage school system in Buffalo because we see what happens to all those kids. And we wanted as badly as possible to get them in a good school system. So they bought like the cheapest house they could, whatever. I don't have to go on about it, but everybody has their own story. You know what I mean? And just being told, like being told by a more privileged conservative white guy than you mm-hmm. that like you're the or i won't say conservative in there let's leave that out of it because mm-hmm. i wouldn't consider myself a conservative and i don't think the people accusing me of things would consider themselves a conservative sure. but the whole like privileged white dude thing uh-huh. being told that i'm the privileged white dude by somebody even more privileged and then if i were to to it just feels like you assume so much about my life because you've just fit me into this whole narrative that you're using as the foundation for this big war. Mm-hmm. And if I try to like say, if I give you my version of the story or express to you why it's more nuanced than that, then then you'll say like, well, yeah, but still like how much privilege did you get for your whiteness and for, yeah, your parents were quote unquote poor or whatever, grew up in the city, but were their parents like, you weren't black so you're you know people didn't look at you in automatic you got hired for more jobs and sure. you had you know cousins or uncles who would pay you to mow their lawn in the suburbs or whatever stuff like that anyway so i guess that's my that's my long story of where where uh i, I am big enough though to understand like i am super privileged and i'm not going to sit here defending you know how how like unprivileged i am or whatever like I'm privileged. Mm-hmm. I am white. Mm-hmm. I'm going to own that. There's a reason that I'm here. There's a reason I got into the things I got into and got ahead in the ways that I got ahead. Mm-hmm. And I want to help. And I recognize it's a, a systemic problem. And I want to pave the way forward. And I want to take specific actions to do that. And I want to listen to to people who are who have that experience to understand how to do that the best. Sure. You know? And I would love it if we could... S- I would love it if not everybody had to like, because I'm so great, you know, if not everybody had to recognize their own defensiveness, put it aside, drown out the noise and make progress in one direction. Wouldn't it be great if like we could just make progress and not sling mud everywhere? Okay. That's the steel man of my argument. Okay. <laughs> I steel man my own argument. Sure. So I guess the, I guess the point is that like, uh, that sort of, nuanced person and like we could sit here and fucking talk about like i know we could do this for another two hours <laughs> we could do think, it for another i think i just do, took us in a whole other podcast that was just this I know, I know you know um every week we could come on here and talk about this like but uh all of that aside let's just kind of like take it as read that like you're aware of privilege and that you yeah, also yeah, had sure. like a uh you didn't have like a classic sort of like 
upper middle class to good college to like n- coming out of for school sure. with no student loans to zero you know, money towards you didn't my have, college. You didn't my have parents. like the sort of traditional zero. upper middle class, uh, like totally upbringing, right? And same here, yeah. right? Whatever. Yep. Um, but dude, you lived in Japan in a high rise. That's true. I did. Don't tell me you were. That's true. <laughs> I'm I did. just joking. No, um, I'm totally joking. But all I'm saying is like these, like these things are predictors, right? Because just because you are an outlier among white dudes who are programmers doesn't mean yep. that the majority of white dudes who are programmers didn't have those life experiences and didn't end up in that class position that is a predictor for class interest, right? And to me, that's the thing is that like class interest is the thing and class interest is predictive, right? And I bet, I don't know if you can do this on Twitter. On Twitter, you can't see who voted for which, right? No, that's why on the, the polls Twitter are polls. that way. But if you if could. If you saw who could vote, they could, wouldn't be that way. If you could, I would be way, way, I would be willing to bet you $10,000 that more than 70% of the people who voted no are white dudes. If we could just look at their profile pictures. Uh, wait, who voted yes as it's acceptable? Sorry, as it's, who as voted? It's I don't want to yeah. talk about politics at work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, those people, I would bet you ten thousand dollars that most of them are white dudes. Yeah, no, I mean you're totally right. That um, I, I, I imagine you're right. I imagine you're right. And, I imagine your generalization that, is right. Right, and I and that's we can and that's totally and and that's the thing is like there's been a lot of sort of like pearl clutching in the past about like are we being unfair by making these generalizations or whatever, right? But at a certain point, if we try for a very long time to like bring arguments to these people in ways that they'll find acceptable and like engage them in discourse and do all of this stuff that's been going on since the civil rights movement, right? Like there's been white dudes in power all over the country running every political office, running every big company, running all this stuff. And we've been bringing all of these issues to them and like trying to make a good point and just getting shut down and not making meaningful change. Right. At a certain point, people have just kind of decided like, well, maybe we need to like start having these conversations in a way that like isn't catered to those people and making sure that they feel included in the conversational process, you know? Yep. And that's what's been happening for the last few years is that people have kind of said, okay, maybe I don't give a shit if I hurt some feelings of some white dudes like let's give it a shot exactly. and see how it goes and see if we're able to make more progress this way yep you know and i understand and I, it's not I like, totally and it's not a fair and balanced thing right it's not a thing where you get to say like oh but you can't do that to white dudes or else like we can do that to black women or whatever or like what if that what Agreed, if the same yeah. things you're doing to white dudes were applied to black women it's like well they have been forever right and yes. so now we're just saying like all right well fuck it like i don't care about hurting your feelings i don't care if you feel included like and because it turns out that including you isn't useful anyway, right? Because inclu- we've you've been so included and we've been like politely bringing these issues to you and asking you to do something about them for a long time. And it turns out you don't give a shit either way. So we're just going to do it ourselves. We don't give a shit about you. Um, like, and then like, this is all there is to it. And maybe we'll fail that way too. And then maybe we'll have to like burn down buildings or something. But like... <laughs> It's really tough, dude. I mean, I totally agree with you. I be, I think I agree with everything you said. I think the part that gets me is the 
like the part that triggers me a little bit is the like ends versus means mentality you know and i understand yeah and 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 really time will tell i agreed it's not it's not a simple it's there's no simple answer Mm -hmm. but the ends are not everything and what's your you know what what's your limit in the in the means and in my mind if the you know i'm going to use some some bible based analogies mm-hmm. because like that's where a lot of this part of my philosophy comes from mm-hmm. um which you know whatever uh the, the whole like uh, a good tree or you know like the uh, like bearing good fruit you know like you're not going to find good fruit on a garbage tree like the tree has to have you know whatever um like the the outside of the cup like mm-hmm. the inside of the cup has you know those sorts of biblical metaphors whatever um and i sort of apply them to situations like this that okay like if if you're gonna progress is great but if you're gonna achieve that progress in a way that if if propagated in a different direction would be bad mm-hmm. and and is bad in the at an atomic scale you know what i mean like um so for example let's say uh let's say i guess we can just take the simple act of of calling somebody let's, let's start with like flipping money tables in a temple right so it's like bad to go up to someone's business and like knock over their table that has all of their money lending stuff on it right yes but in a temple the ends justify the means yeah no i mean there's right you could fight you could go metaphor for metaphor here yeah or whatever you could go story for story absolutely i guess in my experience thinking of of how these types of things these these attract a certain type of person and they stroke a certain type of ego mm-hmm. a holier than thou rigid mm-hmm. uh um uh superiority mm-hmm. thing yep that that really gives me the shivers to my core and that's human nature i've seen it so yeah. clearly in other areas and i think my whole thing is like if i see that i turn off i'm like Oh, like this is, you know, this may be a good cause, mm-hmm. but if it's, if the whole like rallying point or, or if the whole culture of it is loaded with superiority complex and is rigid in the same way that, that my issues with like evangelicalism, mm-hmm. it's a lot of the same stuff. There's a lot of us versus them inverse out. There's a lot of generalizations. There's, you know, maybe in this conversations, it's white dudes. Maybe in that conversation, it's non-Christians, quote unquote. Sure. You know, there's all of those things that I have run from and I'm still running from them, mm-hmm. you know, in every area. So when I hear something like that, I'm like, can't we find a way towards justice that doesn't involve those things? And your point is, well, we've tried that for a long time. And really what that does is, is, you know, it's well, playing no, nice, no, no, nice no. with the people the, who need to be shaken can. up or something like that. You and I can. Yeah. Right. It's just a question of whether we have the right to tell these other people who are not fucking, you know, upper middle class white dudes with making a bunch of money doing programming on the Internet who can just kind of like do whatever the fuck they want. Right. Whether people who don't have the same sort of freedom and mobility that you and I have can somehow be told that they can't do the thing that they feel like they need to do. Right. You and I can seek to make the world more just in interesting ways that like we feel like included right like you and i like i think this podcast is valuable because it allows me to like have this conversation with you right now 
broadcast it to the public, to our audience, which I'm sure is 80% white. <laughs> For uh, sure. And like, you know, like this, <laughs> like to me, this is like moving the discourse forward. The fact that you and I are having this conversation, right? And yeah, it's probably yeah. makes more people more willing to consider my point of view, right? Um, yeah. Which I think is a good thing. Um, I also think that like we can do things like starting businesses that we think make the world more fair and more equitable and like, you know, designing society because we happen to be like people who are much closer to the levers of like maybe designing society. Uh, Right. So it's like, I would love to create a business that is a blueprint for other businesses. That's something I think that is achievable before I die. Right. Cool. Um, And there are other people who's, who don't have access to that level of like ease and vibiness. Right. And yep. to tell those people, like, you, well, you need to consider how these people who have way more access than you do feel about your way of trying to, like, get something for your people. You know, yep. like, I think that's the thing. It's like, of course, no, I understand that there. Yeah, there's a power dynamic there that you have to acknowledge. Yeah. And I just think you, not... I think I think it's like, yeah, we can definitely have peaceful, good, useful conversations. Right. I just and like, I think I am all about like. There are tons of, like, rich people on Twitter, like, shaming each other for shit, right? And I think that's probably a big part of what was happening internally at Basecamp. Right, of course, yeah. And I like could be the, making a big and, judgment, but let's just say that a bunch of white guys were just fighting over, you know, whatever, these I- idealistic things, whatever. Sure. And I think that they're fighting are, each other on behalf of all the marginalized people who may not have even been a part and of the a discussion certain, or not. A yeah. certain amount of that is like an upper middle class wealthy virtue aesthetic. Right? Yes. Which totally. of course is stupid and of course I despise. Right? Like I absolutely despise like uh that identity politics has basically been co-opted by upper middle class yard sign moms. Right? Yeah. I like I absolutely hate that and I think it's one of the stupidest things in the entire world. <laughs> Um, you did the yard side mops thing. You just, yeah. I'll allow it. But like, but you're... I think it's incredibly stupid, right? And yes. like, that being said, <laughs> like, does that does that mean that I get to like then uh, make a blanket statement that all people must engage in politics in the way that like doesn't alienate me? Like, of course not. Like the people who feel like they need to alienate me to like be able to fucking live. Go for it, you know? Like, I don't... I mean, go for it in the sense that, like, anybody can do whatever they want, but don't go for it in the sense that, like, I don't think that's a, a really great path to move forward on. But they've tried the other paths. Yeah, so the question is, I mean, like, with regards to the base camp thing is, like, you know, I may not want that um, for a person, but that doesn't mean that that I should shut it down. Yeah, you know? and I think that's the Preemptively. thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. Dude, it's really tough, man. I mean, there's so many... Uh, this is, dude, this identity politics thing is a big thing. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think it is... <laughs> it's a big thing. All right, we got like a couple minutes here and then I'm done. Um, okay. This is a direct result. I'm going to... This is all Daniel's opinion stuff. Now I'm preaching, okay? Um, okay. This is a direct Preach. result of the Democratic Party abandoning class politics in favor of courting a wealthy donor class right the democrats Mm. made an explicit decision to uh court suburban wealthy white liberals as opposed and uh, in the process abandon more rural working class 
places, right? Mm. And yep. so this is when Pennsylvania becomes a swing state because of the Philly suburbs, and West Virginia becomes a solidly Republican state, even though it was one of the strongest Democratic states forever when the Democrats were like a union-based thing because mm -hmm. of all, yep. all these coal miners' unions, right? And so when the Democrats abandon class politics but also need to continue to have virtue uh, so that they can make it clear that they're the good guys as opposed to the Republicans who are the bad guys, right? Um, yeah. Much of their uh, policy needed to focus specifically on, um, on issues that were not class issues because those issues offend donors, right? Yes. Um, which led to this thing of like these wealthy sort of like, which led to a lot of sort of like empty wording from the Democrats. Like, I, I just can't stop thinking about like Nancy Pelosi wearing like the kente cloth, like the, the sort of like, uh, tr like uh, ceremonial, like African cloth, mm -hmm. like, and she was wearing like a kente cloth mask and stuff during the George mm -hmm. Floyd thing. Um while simultaneously opposing any kind of police reform, right? Mm. Like, this is such a distinct picture to me of... What are the moves that the Democrats made that were... In, because, like, in my just basic understanding, like, Democrats push for social services and things that, right? Like, Sure, like, uh, yeah, but means testing became a huge thing, right? So means testing, like, uh, they no longer generally push for universal services, they push for means-tested services. Um, so means-tested services are like, you need to prove that you make less than this amount of money in order to get this government help. You need to prove gotcha. that you have this many kids to get paid this amount of money. You need to prove... Sure, right. right. And these means-tested things are incredibly weak and incredibly vulnerable to Republicans cutting them, right? So the reason that Social Security is so strong and has survived mm -hmm. like three decades of Joe Biden trying to kill it <laughs> like Joe Biden's been trying to kill Social Security since the 70s, but that's a whole that's a whole other question. The reason that Social Security is so strong is because it's a universal program. And no matter who you are, whether you're Republican or yeah. Democrat, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white, you get Social Security when you turn 65, right? You pay into it your whole life. Yeah. And you yeah. don't have a choice. And then you get to pull out of it later in life. Universal programs are incredibly strong and incredibly resistant to lobbyists weakening them with little inch by inch paper cut by paper cut legislation right mm. whereas medicaid is a means tested program which only applies to poor people poor people don't have political power right and so people who do have political power are able to just cut away chop away at medicaid and take some of that money over here and take some of that money over there and earmark some of that money for this big hospital that gave their campaign twenty thousand dollars right yeah and over time, these means-tested programs just shrink and shrink and shrink until they're almost useless, right? Mm. Um, and they become weaker and weaker every year, and they never become stronger. They only become weaker, right? Um, yeah, interesting. And this, like, means-testing as, like, a, as an approach is, like, largely something that happened sort of post-FDR, right? As, as these sort of uh, business unions started to take over the labor sector, Right. And mm -hmm. then um, as uh, JFK's labor uh, labor regulation stuff came in, which then was weaponized by Ronald Reagan in this like Patco firing where like the air traffic controllers union went on strike. Arguably like one of the strongest public sector unions that exists. Right. Air traffic controllers, they can shut down the skies. 
they go on strike and Ronald Reagan just said, fuck it, fire them all, bring in the military. They fire whatever, 30,000, 20,000 air traffic controllers all at once and put this chilling effect into unions, right? And in doing that, made weakened the unions. The unions were weakened to such a point where they were no longer like a really powerful uh, voting block. And the Democrats mm-hmm. abandoned them and basically said, let's go court these wealthier people. We'll get more money into our campaigns. We'll stop having to... How did they court wealthy people? They started targeting their... They started taking more of these sort of larger donors, right? And they started targeting their messaging more to things that wouldn't offend wealthy people, right? Gotcha. But they, but there wasn't any particular way to court them specifically. Like, what did they do to attract like, wealthy donors? Oh, uh, like market deregulation stuff, like, you know, uh, free trade agreements, right? So, like, the Clinton, like, free trade agreement stuff is, like, very famous. You know, like, there, there's, like, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff where, like, they became much more into, like, sort of technocratic solutions at, like, a market manipulation level, like, at the higher end, rather than sort of direct, like, giving money to people um sort of solutions they they became much more interested in like well what if we gave this as like a tax rebate you know and like these sorts of things are like you get to say that you're you get to say in public that you're giving money to poor people which gets you some votes right and get yeah. let allows you to feel like a good person um and look like a good person but then you also get to go say to the people who uh who need to not get screwed over by this who are your wealthy donors like don't worry, we did it in this way where it's a tax rebate and it's like not going to apply to you if you do like X, Y, and Z, you know? Yeah. Um, and to me, like, it's just corruption and it's just like nonsense. So I have a lot of problems with the Democratic Party as a whole. But I don't know that we have time for me to like fully go into why I don't like the Democratic <laughs> Party today. The stimulus checks are an interesting thing because it is them. a non-means tested. So, well, now it is, yeah. but right. But that's like a social service, yeah. a non-means tested mm-hmm. It's a universal service. program, yeah. Right, that was very um fascinating how uh i don't know just people people from every walk of life got a stimulus check and were pretty pumped about yeah, it everybody likes <laughs> and it. it and it's just cool to see and people would feel the same way about healthcare. i'll tell you what yeah people would feel the absolute same way if they just never had to pay for their doctor's visit again and just got to go to the doctor and get their yeah. medicine and not get a bill and it would yep. save the u.s money mm-hmm. it's crazy mm. Yeah, so good stuff, Decol. We made some good progress here. Yeah. Um, Didn't get to live our internals. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. No, no, no. This is great. This is great. This is great. Great, 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 great. great. Good stuff. Yep. Good, good stuff. Um. Okay, Deke. Well, should we cue that music? Let's do it. Bum, bum, dum. Bum.